Jake, I'm a little confused. Yesterday I'm seeing all these... I think last night we heard it on Trackside. You know, live from Palm Springs, IndyCar Media Day. What the hell are you doing in Indy? This weather sucks. It's content day, Kevin. Oh, not... Media day is not the right phrase? It's content day. Gosh, now you really sound like a millennial. And And then there's a test in Palm Springs. Algebra? Yeah, no. We're all no, gonna figure out be... this math problem. <laughs> Let me tell you, the 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 gap between here and Palm Springs is half the difference between the gap between me and the comprehension fully of algebra. <laughs> Even Palm still, Springs. Maddie and I did a uh, anniversary trip out there a couple of years ago. It's great, small airport, but it's a fun time. It's, it's Palm Springs is kind of in the middle of nowhere, right? Correct. Yeah, definitely in the middle of nowhere. We actually drove from Palm Springs to San Diego. So we did two nights in Palm Springs, two nights in San Diego. I couldn't recommend it more. But again, I'm thinking to myself, that's a hell of a place for a media day, content day. I agree. I I saw they were, you know, they, they did a lot of stuff. That the I always wonder how much media they get out there, though, right? Yeah, that was a question I had. Uh, Kevin Lee was broadcasting from out there last night, and I think Nathan Brown from The Star and some usual suspects there. But what are we, a month away? Yeah, I talked to Mark James last night because he was doing some stuff oh, yeah. for content. James day. out there, of course. And well, he was, and you know, he was saying, "Jake, we're we're on track in like a month." I'm like, I know. You know, it comes up comes up quickly for sure. But I, and to add insult to that injury, it was 12 degrees this morning on the way in. Oh yeah, I mean, our anniversary is mid February, so we went out there like exactly you know this time a couple years ago. And it was the perfect time to get the hell out of here. If you want to talk about on track, I would not say that was Indiana last night. They Jalen Hood Shafina was off track. Yeah, I had an IU fan text me. Is Jalen Hood Shafina throwing the game? I mean, he was 0 for 11 at one point. Jake, he was horrific. 1 for 14 was the final tally there. Um, and Maryland, you know, hearing those Kevin Willard comments yesterday, it got me thinking a little bit, Jake, to our conversation after the Minnesota game. Remember the Minnesota game? IU survives it. Right. Trace Jackson Davis, the offensive rebound put back. And you could react to that game in one of two ways. You could say, it's a road win in the Big Ten and we're never going to talk about it again. Or you could sit here and say, wow, Minnesota, Minnesota just zoned Indiana for 40 minutes, super committed to that, and how IU reacts to that is going to be a Big Ten storyline for the rest of the season. And I think Kevin Willard, we heard the comments yesterday, I mean, gushing about Trace Jackson Davis to the nth degree. He looked at Minnesota's blueprint and said, you know what? And Maryland plays some zone, but we're going to be very committed to playing a little bit of a, a little bit of a press too. Right. I think they did that kind of rattle. Yeah, it did. Hood Shafino, not not to the degree of like tons and turnovers, but it just slowed Indiana down. Then once Indiana got in the half court, Maryland falls back into that zone and things were an issue all night long. 66-55, the final tally there. Uh Maryland beats Indiana. IU's five-game win streak is over. As Jake said, Hood Shafino was terrible, one of fourteen at Trace Jackson Davis. 18 and 20, but the support for Trace, not there. The the thing that I noticed, and I'm, I'm curious to talk to Dane Fife about this coming up later in the show, who's going to join us today. And by the way, good morning to you. On a Wednesday, it is cold outside, but it's clear. That's the good news. But it's a little chilly, so plan on uh, getting a little extra jolt when you go out to the car this morning. Uh, that's Kevin Bowen. I'm Jake Quarry. Mark Dykton here as well. It's Kevin and Quarry on a Wednesday. The thing that I noticed, Kevin, is... 
that we've talked a lot about, and for Indiana to win college basketball games, their job is not to get Trace Jackson Davis or any other player ready for the NBA. I know that that's, that sounds weird to say because getting players to the NBA is part of your selling feature in recruiting and everything else. But when it comes to winning games, you are coming up with game plans that help you win college basketball games. You're not saying, hey, let's design X, Y, and Z in order to appeal to NBA teams, right? But you are hopeful that a player has progression throughout the course of his career to become an NBA-level player. Trace Jackson Davis is a tremendous talent and has played his way at this point into the conversation of late first-round pick probably. But the knock on him or the thing that we've talked about in his NBA prospects I thought were last night you really saw them because what Maryland did was they got him. He is so quick around the basket. But as soon as you get him just outside of the paint and you double him, he doesn't necessarily have the first step lateral quickness or the pull-up to get himself into position. And he was kind of forcing shots that were going over the other side and Ray Thompson was there to clean it up for him. But it just looked like, and and this this is crazy to say, especially for a guy that had, an, and people are probably going to kill me for it because he had, I mean, the guy had the the Maryland Fieldhouse record for rebounds in a game last night. He is a wonderful player. But he did struggle once he got they got physical with him ten feet out of the basket. He just he just yeah. did. I mean I, he, I, he got out of rhythm. I think the issues are so much more perimeter based from last night than Well Trace. they absolutely are. Obviously in the fact that you get somebody knocking down shots, that's not an issue. They were able to collapse on him is my point because there was nobody else doing anything. So yes, I mean but what I'm saying so my comments are not exclusive of one another, or they are, you know, you know what I'm saying. He, yes, they should have had some perimeter help for him, but my point being, in a microcosm, if you were looking at reasons why he is not a lottery pick, those were the reasons why. You know, I remember looking up last night, and to your point, Jake, you know, Trace had those touches early in the second half, you know, a couple of air balls, and Race Thompson kind of cleaned them up, and you know, Indiana, I thought, did a really nice job early in the second half of drawing fouls. Um, I remember looking up, I think it was like just over 13 minutes to go in the game and saying to myself, wow, Indiana's in the bonus the rest of the way. And I don't know if there's like any stats that you look at, Jake, or you think of during a game, but that's always one that I really watch. I'm like, I always feel really good, and insert your joke about Notre Dame basketball here, but Notre Dame basketball has always been a great foul shooting team, so I always am like just itching for them to get that seventh foul on their opponent, or their seventh foul for the opponent called on them, so then Notre Dame will be in the bonus, because then I'm like calm. Right. I'm like, you know what, hey, as long as they get fouled a couple times, they'll go to the foul line, and you know everything will be stymied, and it, it, it'll be fine, and it's very rare for a Big Ten team on the road to get into the bonus with that much time left, 13 minutes to go. And I was looking at it this morning. They shot one free throw the rest of the way. The final 13 minutes of the game, they shot one free throw. And I would guess you would have certainly a loud section of the fan base, Jake, that would scream about that is a Big Ten road whistle for you. Okay, but for the first six minutes of the second half, you did something to draw six fouls. 
on Maryland. And I just thought you saw a lack of a commitment to get into the paint, consistent post touches. I mean, hell, not even for Trace, but even for for, for Race Thompson. And I thought that was a big issue because when you're struggling from the perimeter, you're struggling to create easy baskets. The fact that you were at the foul line potentially for the final 13 minutes of the game and weren't able to take advantage of that, I thought that was a huge deal. Um, the question that you have going into Saturday, and again, I get the personnel is different, but Matt Painter's never been a big zone guy. Matt Painter's never right. been a big press guy. You know, when does this become the, hey, here's the IU blueprint, every Big Ten team? Or is this going to be kind of a, we sometimes see it, we sometimes don't see it? I, I'm fascinated to see how Big Ten teams will react to Indiana the rest of the way. Um, it's It looks as though now for the Colts head coaching search, whoever they want, they're going to have their pick, right? Like everybody's kind of off the board. Yeah, I think there might be like one or two overlap candidates in Arizona, but for the most part, yeah, um, everybody is off the board. Sean Payton to Denver yesterday, D'Amico Ryans uh, to Houston, uh, obviously Frank Reich to Carolina, so that leaves just the openings with the Cardinals and the Colts. I want to say Brian Callahan, who reportedly will interview with the Colts today, and then I think it's Arizona tomorrow, so he would be the one that has some interest there. I, I want to say Ajero Evero. Is a candidate in both spots. You know, I saw a lot of people saying, hey, domino effect, domino effect. You know, three of the five openings are now there. As much as I wanted the Colts to pursue D'Amico Ryans, I get why D'Amico Ryans is going to the Houston Texans. He played for that franchise for a long oh, yeah, time. Yeah. I mean, he's known as probably one of the more beloved players in franchise history. I want to say his wife is from Houston. The compensation for Sean Payton was never realistic. And again, Frank Reich, of course, you're not going to hire him. Where I have the question, Jake, of do the Colts have any sense of urgency is do we see some of the assistant coaches start to dry up? You know, these guys building their staffs, do the Colts feel any sort of urgency? I don't think they will, but that would be a question that I would have is like, hey, if you're the offensive coordinator candidate and D'Amico Ryans wants you in San Francisco or Raheem Morris wants you in Indy, you might hop on with D'Amico Ryans and not wait for the Indy job to get filled. That would be the question that I have. The I did hear yesterday, and I mean this is not original thought by any stretch, but I, but I hear it again. Even though when I I feel like it, it felt like this was starting to kind of wane, but that there is still thought within the building. I'm not saying with Chris Ballard, but within the building, probably Jim Mersey and, and a few others, that they do really believe in a lot of attributes of Jeff Saturday, but they believe that it would he would need very strong coordinators. And that that's, you know, maybe maybe Saturday needs to come back with or counter, give them another pitch with a different list of coordinators or established coordinators than names that would be like Jeff Saturday, kind of outside the box. Yeah, I mean, Jake, what have I said for the last two weeks? I'm fascinated to see what a Saturday staff would look like. Right. I have no idea. I mean, you know, Clyde Christensen retired from the NFL about a week and a half ago. He's a name that I'm like, you know what? Would he be on the staff? You know, there's just not a lot of direct ties um, for Saturday. What do you make of that Sean Payton compensation? Uh, you know, first and second rounder from Denver to New Orleans. Denver gets a third rounder back. I mean, I think that's about what... I mean, first and second is pretty steep, it would seem. But the other thing that I... I was less reactionary, for lack of a better phrase, about... The compensation is is the fact that 
like they kind of like yo-yoed back and forth who they wanted. You know what I mean? Like supposedly they went after Hart. Like now it's yeah. starting to come out. Was Sean Payton even really their first choice? Well, then you had Schefter and Rappaport going at each other yesterday. Right. Uh, Rappaport reported that D'Amico Ryans, they made a last-ditch effort to him yesterday. Schefter was very adamant that Denver did not pursue D'Amico Ryans at the final hour. Um, boy, is Denver all in or what? I mean, think about how much they've given up for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. I'm telling you, though, Denver... And it's a new ownership group that comes from a ton of money, and you know that they're looking at it like, we've got to make a splash. Because Nathaniel Hackett just blew up. And you're hoping that Sean Payton can fix Russell Wilson from last year, so you're putting your all chips in that Sean Payton is a quarterback guru. You are not drafting some young quarterback. You just traded your first and second rounder. Well, that's the thing. When is... And what did they give up for... In total, they've given up three first-round yeah. picks and, I believe, three seconds for Russell Wilson and Sean Payton. It doesn't surprise me the Broncos are all in on things for two reasons. Number one, new ownership, as we talked about. But number two, I'm just telling you, if you've ever been to Denver, I mean, the Broncos are in Denver what IU basketball, the Colts, Reggie Miller, and the Indy 500 are here combined. Like they are everything in color in Denver, everything. It's it's just a different. It's a totally different level. They're not leading off with Rockies pitchers and catchers reporting to camp. <laughs> no, they are leading off with which Broncos players were spotted at the airport when they saw the pitchers and catchers leaving. And how many Coors Lights were they drinking? You know, Coors Light there in Golden, Colorado. It's made with mountain water, Kevin, and they have to bring it east in the Mississippi in cooled trucks. That's why it's so hard to get. That was the narrative in like 1990. Look at the mountains. I've always said they're Microsoft Word blue. <laughs> I'm telling you, like back in the day, it was like, oh, Coors, man, you can only you can only get it west of the Rockies because it has to be chilled the entire time. Yeah, okay. Marketing I, 101. I mentioned this to you yesterday, but now that the D'Amico Ryans to Houston thing is official, I don't recall looking at the entire AFC South and saying, wow. There's hope there. Wow. There's some hope there. Like, there is legit... I mean, if you look at pillars of an organization, Jake, and I don't know, again, that's kind of a cliche term to use, but I would say head coach and quarterback are pretty close to the top of the list in terms of pillars right. of the organization. Right. Okay, well, let's say let's say the Texans, whatever. Bryce Young. Let's give them Bryce Young. If you look at the Texans, Titans, and Jags, and you take the quarterback and head coach combination of those three teams, that would mean six individuals. I would say you feel very good if you're those teams, about five of those six. I'd say you feel very good about the three head coaches in each stop, Ryans, Vrabel, and Doug Peterson. Right. And in terms of quarterbacks, Bryce Young and Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And maybe it's you know obviously premature probably Boy. to slot Bryce Young there, but... Outside of Tennessee's quarterback, and Malik Willis, I think, needs a lot of development. But when's the last time, Jake, you have, as a Colts fan, you've looked at the AFC South and said, quarterback the and other head coach three, in the, the other three stops, you feel good about five of the six of them? Or when's the last time, as a Colts fan, you looked at it? Now, this goes way back. When's the last time, as a Colts fan, you looked at it and said, in this division, they are last in, those t- in the, the combined score of those two pillars? Yep, that's another way to look at it. I mean, it's been a long time. It's an interesting time for this division. But given the fact that you haven't won a division in eight years, I probably shouldn't be too surprised. Everybody's won it twice since you won it last.
Uh, that Frank, just hurts. Oh, hurts. Frank Reich had his press conference yesterday down in Carolina. Um, had a couple of Colts-related comments. Nate Atkins from the Star going to join us around 8.30. Uh, there was something that Reich mentioned that I think just kind of summarizes the biggest issue for Indy last year. He repeated it quite often yesterday. Basically, it was just an inability to get the ball down the field. Obviously, there's a ton of factors that play into that. Offensive line, quarterback, wide receiver personnel, etc. But Jake, that to me was like, that was the aspect of the Colts that I think hurt them the most. Because in a way, you just never threatened an opposing defense. And if you want to make a basketball analogy, it would be like not needing to go outside of the paint to guard somebody. Right. I, I don't need to come out there. Like, And if you're a cornerback... So it's like guarding Indiana. Sure. Last <laughs> night especially. Yeah. Uh, even Jalen Huchifino after what he did on Saturday night against Ohio State. Um, no team just felt threatened by the Colts offense. And in today's NFL, if you don't put that threat into a defense, oh, they're just going to suffocate you, and that's exactly what happened to the Colts offensively last year. So did you do anything uh, fun last night besides watch Indiana and Maryland, which was a late game? Uh, my wife went out with some girlfriends for dinner, so I was with Rosie and Max and just kind of hung with them. And did you eat hot dogs and mac and cheese? That's we, kind of the dad role, isn't it? We made tacos. <laughs> Rosie loves making tacos. Okay. We made tacos, uh, big fan, and uh, yeah, Max took his bottle well and went down and... I think everybody's still alive. <laughs> well, that's Mark. That's an upshot, isn't it? When you're alone with the kids and that's everybody's still positive. alive. Oh, that's got to be at the top of the goal list, right? That's right. the checklist for the next day. Uh, but yeah, that was about it. I, I almost fell asleep before the IU game. Man. Luckily, we made it through. That, that, those nine o'clock tips. It, I know I've ranted about this before, Jake. But when we've got these nine o'clock tips, how have we not created a button in the bottom right-hand corner that says, "I would like to flip to that game." I don't need to watch Texas A&M and Arkansas go to the yes. monitor 19 times. Right. I, I'm still yeah, because watching they didn't, your Indiana, channel. They didn't flip over to Indiana, Maryland until, what, like 17 after or something. I right. mean, it was a while. Why doesn't the button, right-hand corner, if you would like to watch Indy, and again, you know, go to your ESPN app, whoop-de-doo, I'm a little old school. I, I, I don't want to do all that. I just, I'm going to stay on your channel, let me click that button, and let me get to the game that I want to watch. I don't need to watch Buzz Williams. I saw... Kind of like Buzz Williams, by the way. He's an interesting-looking fellow, isn't he? He looks like his name would be Buzz. You know, he... You know what I mean? From his Marquette days to Virginia Tech, I've seen a lot of him and playing Notre Dame, and he is an interesting fellow. That's a good way to describe it. But social media is a funny thing now because you're able in real time to know what people are up to. I, I did see an increased number of people. Maybe this is just the fact that... You know, people are getting older. We've been on social media for a long time, but people that were like, "Look, I I can't hang with this. Like, it's ten thirty. I got to go to bed. I'm too tired." And I'm like, "Too tired? I got to do a radio show at seven. Come on now, <laughs> stay with us." I don't think everyone's sliding a little nap in midday. I can't today. I got to go read to kids at Jeremiah Gray Elementary School. Uh, you know, Uncle Jake's falling asleep here with the Bernstein Bears book. <laughs> what are you reading to them today? Excellent question, Mark. Thank you. They asked me. Polls. It's um, it's National Reading Day, I think, or you know, uh, something February first, like National Reading Day, I, something like that. Yeah. So they said I got an email. Would you like to come out to Jeremiah Gray? And I, I mean, Jeremy Gray. I know him. Known him for a long time. Great voice. And I said, yeah, sure. Um, so. I'm going to this elementary school, and they said, well, you're going to be reading to third graders. 
Great, wonderful. I'll bring uh, my copy of Fifty Shades of Grey. Well, they said, what would you like to bring to read? They said, you can read your favorite book. Oh, God. I think they're not Archie aware Comics that, is a book. That's well, one of the biggest <laughs> mistakes they could make. Kids, we're going to read Slaughterhouse Five. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, I'm, I said, well, why don't you guys pick that out? And then tonight at the Can Can at seven o'clock is the twenty-five uh, year anniversary viewing of Going All the Way, uh, where Dan Wakefield is going to speak afterwards. So it's it's a literary day all all the way around. Busy I don't day. know. That, yeah, I don't know that I'll sneak in a nap. Um, sounds like Tyrese Halliburton could be returning to the lineup tomorrow. Uh, yesterday, the Pacers had that rare full practice. You don't get many of those in an NBA season. But with three days off to start this week, Indiana back on a five-on-five setting over there at the St. Vincent Center. Halliburton was a full participant. Still hasn't been cleared for game action, but he is hopeful that he will play. Basically said that straightening the elbow is the issue. Conditioning has not been the issue. Uh, that again, knee and elbow is what he initially had, but the knee injury he said wasn't was just a couple of days. The elbow has been more of the problem. So I we'll would see think if he elbow plays. extension for passing and shooting is an issue, or for brace. Luckily, it is his non-shooting hand, but yeah, obviously, but I mean, you know, he does a whole lot with his left hand, left elbow during a game. Eight to go until the All Star break, and we could see Daniel Tice make his debut. Came over in that Boston trade. I've always liked Tice. I find him enticing. I would say there's plenty of reasons. Right. Yeah, I, I kind of like him. A little bit of an old school guy in terms of how his style. He can step out, and if you leave him wide open, he might hit one on you. Um, so, yeah, we'll, we'll see how the Pacers look tomorrow with the Lakers. Saw so the Lakers won in overtime last night. They did. LeBron had a triple-double, including 28. That was a good so, game. So LeBron needs, what, like 90 to break the record tomorrow? He's going to do that, yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of shots. You know, Daniel Tice is a guy that we we kind of talked about, Kevin. He's just the kind of guy that they need. I'm not saying that he has the total skill set of it, but a dog. That's the way that I always say it, right? Just the uh, the dirty work guy. Yep. Set some screens, get some loose balls, set some tone. That's kind of the kind of player he is. I mean, the guy started over 20 playoff games in his career. I mean, he certainly has... A bit of a resume. Again, I'm curious when we get more into this eight days away from the trade deadline. You know, are there any kind of, uh, you know, maybe not frontline guys, but any guys that can package a little bit more behind the scenes? Would Tice be one of them to make a move leading into next Thursday? Benedict Matherin, Andrew Nemhard, both named to the Rising Stars game. Pacers have kind of had a trend of that here in recent years. Um, so that'll be All Star weekend coming up in a few weeks in Salt Lake sophomores, freshmen, I think some G-leaguers now playing that one. Nemhard, the only one outside of round one to be drafted and named to the Rising Stars game as a rookie. By the way, my headset over here is all... I, do we have any duct tape? It's going to have to be a break activity. <laughs> it seems to be kind of a... Kind of wrapped it. Now, now did, did you say something? I said that's going to have to be a break activity. <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, all I heard is that's going to be a break. Does that mean that we have one coming? 6.30 for Purdue tonight? Man, that's early. Well, good. That offsets the midnight start for Indiana and Maryland last night. Purdue and Penn State. Micah Shrewsbury, hopefully former Notre Dame coach, or future Notre Dame coach. Although, I wouldn't mind the 9 o'clock guest coaching Notre Dame, Dane Fife. I might ask him that. Are you going to ask him about that? Yeah, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago, and he, he kind of dodged it. Let me Maybe put his feet to he the said, fire on he, that. He sent a tweet yesterday saying that by coming on the show, he's ending his boycott of me. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Are you aware of this, Mark? You're yeah, smirking. he texted me yesterday about it. 
What did he say? He's like, should I should, um, boycott of Jake? I'd like to hear more I, about that. I, I, I was, said, uh, I was unaware of this. I thought those, that's what my vacation days were for. <laughs> I didn't know of a boycott. He said, do I have to talk to Query or can I refuse questions from him? I said, I think it'd be kind of funny if you only took questions from Kevin. He needs the ego check every now and then. He said, how do we make that work? That's what he said. Oh, well, this will make wonderful radio. <laughs> I'll just be- go ahead and... I'll just go down to Garden District and get me a salad. I'm, I'm pretty excited about this now that I heard <laughs> you that. Guys, you guys just have at. I can take my nap. Yeah, Evan, uh, Kevin, you didn't uh, want to brush up on your Spanish last night watching the beginning of the IU game? Yeah, I heard it was in Espanol. Oh, really? Like what? It Jake, wasn't what I you, flipped you, over. you've worked in TV. What am I missing? Well, why is there not a button there that sends me to the IU game? I'm staying on the network. I'm not leaving the network. I'm still watching your channel. Why can't I leave Arkansas, Texas A&M to go to Indiana? I would think that ha- that has to do with the feed that's coming out of Bristol. Th- they are they're beaming it out, and so you're just you're able. I mean, I, I don't know. You would they it's would have past to nine be, o'clock. I, I I I'm on your network. I'm with you. I don't understand why this is still an issue. You're watching on the. Main ESPN broadcast? ESPN 2. So okay. ESPN 2 from 7 o'clock to 9 was Texas A&M, mm-hmm. Arkansas. Game obviously runs over. They delay the Indiana-Maryland tip till 9-10. Yeah. So 9-10 rolls around. The game's still going yeah. on at 7 o'clock. It, it took a while to finish that game. And they didn't come on Indiana-Maryland till like 9 But you did get to see the guy 20. from Arkansas do a breakaway dunk and then land on his tailbone to, and, at the last second and, of I the mean, game. John cannot be more accurate. Buzz Williams was sweating like a kid that likes cake. Yeah, Buzz was just... <laughs> I always think Buzz needs a shower at halftime every game. A kid that likes cake. I love cake. We could use another. We could use a Bowen birthday here in the month of February. I love cake. Okay. My sister's birthday is no Juge. Uh, Juge's is the sixth, so that's in five days. And Megan is the third, so we have two of them in the next. So you can have cake twice. Boy, Taylor's Bakery Orange Fluff Cake Query Tradition. Query parents really had a specific date there nine months before the old <laughs> first hey week of February. Mm-hmm. Just saying. Uh, Dane Fife, 9 o'clock. Nate Atkins, talk Colts head coach. You'd search. Are, are we done with the second interviews? Is Brian Callahan the final name? Something we can get into today. Uh, good t- Wednesday morning to you. Looks like. That sun may be trying to rise a little bit here. Chilly start, but no precipitation in Indianapolis. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, The Fan. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Uh, last night in College Park, Maryland, which basically is suburban Washington, D.C., Maryland 66-55 over Indiana in a rematch of the 2002 National Championship game. I realize they've played several times since then, but I think about that every time those two teams play. Both teams now 15-7 and after Maryland's 11-point win. Trace Jackson Davis last night, 18 points and 20 rebounds, but inadvertent swooshes also hurt Indiana last night. I mean, you name it. Uh, that was not the sound of... of Jalen Hood Shafino hitting a shot. He only had one of miss, them. Right. That's right. He was one yeah. of fourteen, I believe. Both teams now fifteen and seven and six and five overall. Mike Woodson, your thoughts on the Hoosier struggles? And we go a little something like this. Hit it. We could make shots. You know, you got to give them credit too. I mean, you know, I thought the uh, the two two one didn't hurt us, but it didn't allow us to freelance and play. And you know, we got the ball up the court. 
and, and then we just became lackluster. Couldn't make shots, you know, some high perimeter play was non-existent tonight. And, you know, we haven't had it like that in a while. Uh, so, I mean, we just got to regroup, you know I mean? It's, you know, I thought defensively, we put so much pressure on our defense to get stops. And, you know, they shoot 30%, 20-something percent from the three. You got to think that you can win a game when that happens. And how rebound them, I mean, we couldn't find any offense. Yeah, I thought that was spot on by Mike Woodson. Just that press just kind of delayed things. Didn't get into their offense till whatever, 16, 18 on the shot clock and never in a rhythm. Nine conference games to go for Indiana. They do not play a team in the bottom four of the Big Ten the rest of the way. So the schedule toughens up here in February and March. Elsewhere in college basketball, Ball State, 69-60 winners last night in Ohio over Bowling Green. Cards now 15-7. Jerron Coleman, who's been really strong for them all year with 19. Jalen Sellers had 11 points for the Cards, 6-3 in MAC play. Uh, Tonight, it'll be Purdue hosting Penn State. 6.30 tip from Mackey. These teams met at the Palestra earlier in the season. It was a huge second half by the Boilers in that one. Zach Eady, 30-13. The freshman played very well. And that one, of course, with Penn State, you get Micah Shrewsbury, the former Matt Painter assistant, and you get a team that chucks a lot of three-pointers. So be interesting to see if Penn State can uh, do anything here the second time around and make this somewhat of a game. Obviously, we saw Maryland a few weeks ago at Mackey, make it a pretty competitive one. Uh, but that's the only thing standing between Indiana and Purdue coming up on Saturday. Uh, NBA last night, it was the Heat over the Cavs, 100-97. We had mentioned LeBron had a triple-double in the Garden with 28 as the Lakers defeated the Knicks, 129-123. L.A. back here in Indianapolis tomorrow night to take on the Pacers. Speaking of the Pacers, yesterday, Benedict Mather and Andrew Nemhard heading to the Rising Stars game of All-Star Weekend, which is coming up in a couple weeks in Salt Lake. Nemhard, the only freshman or whatever rookie uh, to be named to the Rising Stars game, who was drafted after the 16th pick. Everybody else, 16 or higher in the draft. Saw this yesterday, Jake. Benedict Matherin has 843 points off the bench so far. It's the most ever for a Pacers rookie. Really? There's 30 games to go in the season. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, my only thought would be a lot of them probably were starting right away, right? Reggie Miller didn't necessarily start right away, I don't think, though. Don't believe Paul George was a day one starter. Yeah, that's a good call. That's pretty impressive. By the way, Rising Stars, there was a, when I was a kid in Castleton Square Mall, there was a store called Rising Stars. I spent so much time in that place. Really? What was the, uh, was it apparel um, related? It was a sports, if, you, if you're in Castleton right now, you know where Santa hangs out? In Castleton Square Mall, I was going to insert a North Pole joke here, but <laughs> if we... you if you're exiting Macy's towards the mall itself on the left side, I think now it's like maybe a buckle. Is that, is, that, is that the name of that store? Anyway, that was called Rising Stars, and it was a like elementary school aged Nike and like Converse. Oh, that sounds awesome. Oh, it's great sporting goods store. They had post, you know, like I think I bought a Dr. J poster there, and I had a Nike mug at one point that I got there. I used to just loiter in there. I was going to say, it sounds like a must-stop. Like, yeah. I'm not saying... Mom, we'll see in a half hour. Yeah, I'm not saying that, that parenting in the 80s was a little more, uh, you know, hands-off, but literally, my mom, it would they would, like, drop us off on a Saturday at the mall with, like, $5. Get yourself a hot Sam pretzel and play at Aladdin's Castle all day, and we'll pick you up at 4. 
And I was like, I asked my mom, I go, did I recall this correctly, mom? I was like 10. That sounds like heaven. She's like, yeah, that's pretty much how it worked. Uh, on the Colts head coaching search, we'll chat about that coming up next. Play some audio from some of these candidates. Again, the reported interview for today, Bengals offensive coordinator Brian Callahan. Uh, he would be the seventh of the seven names we've seen so far for a second interview and what do the dominoes of Sean Payton and D'Amico Ryans taking jobs in Denver and Houston respectively what does that mean for the Colts we'll chat about that coming up next here on what looks to be a really nice start to this Wednesday morning in Indy so another really nice start to this Wednesday morning here in Indianapolis chilly but looks like the sun is going to show itself again here to start things 11 degrees outside yeah, very did, did we know it was going to be this cold? Did I did I miss this? I thought this week there was are weather to be... apps on your phone that kind of give you a heads up. <laughs> this well, week was supposed to be a little chillier. 11 degrees. I'm surprised you aren't worrying about the IU students camping out for the Purdue game yet. Oh, boy. Are they doing that? Well, I would assume, right? I don't. I'm telling you. By the way, all sun tomorrow and Friday, baby, even though it's supposed to be subarctic. I 41 tomorrow. That's not bad. That'll toughen those kids up for camping out. Dane Fife going to join us at 9 o'clock, 8.30. Nate Atkins get more into the Colts head coaching search. Just two openings left after yesterday. We saw Sean Payton to Denver and D'Amico Ryans to Houston. So it would be Indianapolis and Arizona still left. Brian Callahan, Bengals OC. That is the reported interview for today. And Jake, if that goes through, that would be seven names. That was the original number expected for second interviews. And at that point, you know, I think you start to think about, are we nearing some finality with this search? The fact that you've had right. seven second interviews, Jim Irsay much more involved now this time around. I'll continue to reiterate what I've said. With Ursa, you never truly know, but I do think some things on Jeff Saturday have cooled a bit. Um, Callahan's a name that I've liked a lot through this process. Certainly the question that you have is he does not call plays in um, Cincinnati. I kind of like the fact that he's the son of an NFL head coach. Um, I feel like being around that, you have an understanding of what it takes and just the commitment that it takes. But then I also like Jake that he's kind of a new age guy. He hasn't necessarily coached with his dad a whole lot right. in recent years. So I kind of like the mix of that. Of He's grown up in it. He understands that. But at the same time, you look at his background, and it's been pretty kind of new age innovation. And obviously the quarterbacks he's been with speaks for itself. Do you remember when, well, the last two coaching hires for the Colts and I'm going with Josh McDaniels. I'm not going with Frank Reich, which kind of became like the automatic. If you recall, when Josh McDaniels backed out, then it was like, well, that means they've got to go to their safety, which is Frank Reich. You know, like he was the natural, boy, they should have gone with this guy all along. You know, that's that's who they go to. He's got familiarity, da-da-da-da-da. But McDaniels and Pagano both, and I want you to correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, because I very well may be, but it seems as though those were kind of like last-second horses that came hard out of turn four, and it was like, whoa, wait a minute. I'd say Pagano definitely, McDaniels, no. Well, McDaniels was a name that we knew, but was he like thought of as the front runner from the get-go? I can't recall. 
I don't know if publicly it was, but again, that was always in Chris Ballard's eyes. And we heard Ballard a couple weeks ago say, I had an end in sight going into that 2018 search. The thought was Andrew Luck, Josh McDaniels. Boom, right. boom, boom. That, that that was the thought from day one. Pagano, and you know he shared this with us a couple weeks back, he hadn't heard from the Colts until the Monday after the AFC Championship game. I mean, he thought they were going to the Super Bowl. Right. I mean, Baltimore was right on the cusp of it, losing in Foxborough. And remember, Pagano was a first-year coordinator. So he wasn't used to this cycle. He hadn't done, you know, the coaching, touring, hiring, interviewing, whatever. He hadn't done that for several years. The other finalists besides Chuck in 2012, and this will make Mark just skin crawl. Mark Tressman. I remember that. I, that was the one. Where is Mark Tressman, Mark Dykton? Where is he now? I have no idea. The CFL. I would say he's the offensive coordinator for the Montreal Alouettes. Got heavy uh, yeah, CFL he's, cur- he's currently the head coach of the Montreal Alouettes. Look at that, Jake's CFL knowledge. Come on. You want to talk about? To bed. Like, I'm done for the day. Who's this quarterback? Chad Kelly. I don't know, but he is the he is the Josh Johnson of head coaches. You ever look at his resume? It's wild how many teams he's been is on. Is that how you lead off an interview? I feel like I'm the Josh Johnson of head coaches. This Fire is, up some Johnny Cash, man. This is an interesting question from Chris. I'm glad he threw this out here. Why does the fact that Brian Callahan not get dinged for calling plays, but Eric Bieniemy does? The difference for me in Callahan and Bieniemy, and why I've had Callahan a little bit higher on the list than Bieniemy. Jake, Eric Bieniemy is an offensive coordinator, but as you know, Eric Bieniemy played what position in college? Running back, right? That's kind of been his primary position that he's coached in the NFL. He hasn't really had a lot of quarterback-centric stuff. That is where Brian Callahan, to me, I think quarterback, again, goes without saying, but worth repeating, I guess. That background to me is so important, and you've got to have that connection there. You have to develop this young QB. The fact that Callahan has worked with, again, Peyton and Matthew Stafford and Derek Carr and now Joe Burrow, that to me is a little bit more, it's just the the position that matters more. So I think that's what separates it for me. You obviously have questions about both. And, you know, in a similar way with bien it's like how much is that Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes? You could ask the same question about Callahan. How much is Zach Taylor? And Joe Burrow and even some of those weapons. But I think I think the fact that Callahan has more of a quarterback-centric background, considering that's the, the position that needs so much attention here in Indianapolis and is the position that matters far more than running back, I think that is why I've got Callahan a little bit higher. Because the reason I mentioned in, in terms of coaches that are like late names that are bubbled up, Callahan is one that I think about midway through we started hearing more about. But the guy that to me is becoming increasingly intriguing because I didn't know a lot about him, admittedly. I don't know him as a person, obviously. But in reading about Rich Basaccia, he has a likability about him. Ah, so you like the leader of men now. No, I I think he... First off, the phrase leader of men, I just think is... I've gone over that. It's better than the Josh Johnson of head coaches. Well, that's true. But 
if you look at what he did, I, I just think that he's been in difficult situations and made the best out of it. Boy, that's an understatement with the Raiders. And I think he's intriguing. Let me read you this text I got from... He's 62 years old, so he's not necessarily like the young, you know what I mean? But he, he has been a little of everywhere. I mean, Green Bay, the Raiders, college, the Cowboys. He's been kind of all over the place. It's a text from somebody that's worked with Rich. Rich Bisacci is the best can, candidate on that list. It's not even close. He's a true leader of men. See, everybody says this now. When did this phrase come about? Like a year, I'd never heard the phrase leader of men until like a year ago. Now everybody's a leader of men. You know who else likes Rich Passaccia? Don't say it. Aaron Rodgers. Don't do it. So Rich Passaccia with, with the Raiders uh, two years ago, interim coach. Jake mentioned it, thrown into a beyond chaotic situation. John Gruden resigning so many off the field incidents, tragic off the field incidents. Uh, Raiders go 7-5 and five under Passaccia's the interim. They win their final four games. They go to the playoffs. He is not hired there permanently. They go Josh McDaniels. He goes to Green Bay last year. So he's been in Green Bay for one year. This was Aaron Rodgers yesterday with Pat McAfee on Rich Passaccia. Well, if anyone ever called me as a reference, one name that uh, has been floating around out there who I would give... A ringing endorsement to is Rich Bisaccia. I'm a I'm a tremendous tremendous fan of his. Uh, he is a prototypical leader who wants to be respected more than he's liked, and I think that from the starting point creates an accountability in whatever room you're controlling, whether that's the entire room or a position room or a, you know a phase of the game like offense, defense, and teams. And you throw in there an incredible ability to control the room with his speech. Very thoughtful individual. Very sharp. And then the love that he brings as well. I think it's just such a perfect combo. So you have the accountability. You have the respect factor. You have the expectations. You have the ability to control the room. And then you have uh, someone who shows you constantly how much he cares about you and loves you and tells you. And it's real because he's already led with the accountability and the respect. Um, he changed He changed uh, that phase of our team for sure. So that's Aaron Rodgers on Rich Bisaccia, who was the special teams coordinator or is the special teams coordinator in Green Bay. And again, we're, only one year. We're not even going to get into the wrinkle of Aaron Rodgers supposedly could be on the trading block and Indianapolis's name has been linked to that. We won't go there, but... One of the things I think that's interesting about him as well, and Aaron Rodgers touched on it a little bit there, but to go back to this, Kevin, which we have mentioned really at the beginning of this process, if you're looking at coordinators, I think a lot of times you you look at special teams coordinator and you have a natural tendency to go, well, special teams, I mean, that's like for the guys that you know aren't starting linebackers that are rookies or whatever else. Special teams coordinators oftentimes are... are it's a really good barometer of overall coaching because you're kind of dealing with the potpourri, if you yeah. will, of the roster. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting guys from multiple Big guys, positions. small guys, Correct. both sides of the ball. And in addition to that, special teams is where you round out your roster. Mm-hmm. So 
on Thursday when there are last-minute changes to the roster or a guy needs to be released or waived in order to make room for another position. So the, the, the last two or three guys on a special teams are kind of always rotating. So special teams coordinator is a guy that has to be really good at adapting on the fly. I would say in-game, too. Think about and it. The, Any injury correct. impacts you. Correct. And and one of the things I think that sometimes you see as being hard, like Chuck Pagano, you know, was I think he would tell you one of the things that was the hardest for him once he became a head coach was just everything that's flying past you. And I think a special teams coordinator has a pretty good pulse on how to handle that yeah you think about michael Pittman gets hurt in the game on sunday okay if you're reggie wayne you're saying all right i need ashton doolin more on offense well then that means bubba ventrone might lose him a little bit on special teams within a game um, when you've seen frank reich over the last handful of years in indy you know covid you know family matter you know leave it's been Bubba Ventrone as the interim. So I think that is the appeal special teams wise. I think it's worth pointing out on Basaccia. He worked with Rod Marinelli with the Raiders. I think Marinelli is a somewhat popular name around the NFL, longtime assistant, been with Chicago. He is a extremely respected confidant of Chris Ballard. Extremely respected. The reason why Matt Eberflus was the Colts defensive coordinator had a large, large part to do with Rod Marinelli's relationship with Chris Ballard. I point that out to say again, Marinelli with the Raiders on that staff as everything unfolded last year. Basaccia, of course, became the interim. Um, so you would you would have a connection right there of Chris Ballard having an re- extremely respected friend. Watch Basaccia handle that, lead them to the playoffs. And honestly, Jake, they could have easily beat Cincinnati in the first round of the playoffs last year. It's probably a game we don't think about a whole lot, but I think it was like 1916. Raiders had a chance to beat the Bengals and upset them in in Cincy. Um, to your point, you look at present day or you look at past history. I believe Marv Levy had a heavy special teams background. John Harbaugh in today's NFL has a heavy special teams background. Um, it like this whole debate: offensive side leader, offensive side leader. I get that there's so much evidence that points to offense, and that's probably where I side. But the only reason Jeff Saturday is on this Colts list is because they love him as a leader. That matters for Chris Bauer and Jim Mercy. So I do think it's things that we have to keep in mind in trying to think what do the Colts covet in these candidates. It does seem a little silly there's a petition about Jeff Saturday, doesn't it? Oh, my God. I've... <laughs> I forgot about that. I, I, Where are we at on that? How many how many uh, signatures on that? That's a good question. Give me a few minutes and I'll research it. How's Dial that? that up and leave that off in the 8 o'clock hour. Let's see how many signatures they have. Oh, wow. It's still growing. Uh, 3,932 people have signed the petition. Not our head coach with a picture. I mean, come on, man. He's a beloved figure. I thought the biggest mistake in the petition was not calling Jim Ursay Mr. Ursay. <laughs> when did that begin, by the way? Uh, right after Leader of Men. Right after Leader of Men. <laughs> You're right. Uh, it is a beautiful start to this it Wednesday. It is chilly, but it is a really nice start. I had a listener say, uh, driving down from Fort Wayne right now, six degrees when they got in the car there. Uh, driving down I-69. So it's going to be chilly, but again, it is a really, really nice start to this Wednesday morning from a sunlight standpoint. Kevin and Corey, 8 o'clock hour coming up. Hi there. Good morning to you. My name is Jake Corey. Kevin Bowen here as well. Mark Dykton 
spinning the hits for us on what is a gorgeous start to this Wednesday in Indianapolis. 8 o'clock hour underway. Nate Atkins going to join us just under a half an hour from now. The Colts beat writer and then Dane Fife will join us uh, coming up and about an hour from now. He has said that he's boycotting my questions. So I'm going to go to Qdoba down and oh, get myself nice. a breakfast burrito. Yeah, I'll get you guys whatever you'd like. I'll say. Uh, last night... Have Dane on more often. Um, Hola Amigos was what you heard for the first couple minutes of the Indiana-Maryland game. At least some did. I think sometimes that has to do with the setting on your television, to be honest with you. But we got to watch the end of Texas A&M. It was Texas A&M in Arkansas, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't remind me. Uh, until like 20 minutes after 9, and then finally they flipped over to Indiana-Maryland. Things looked all right for Indiana in the beginning, you know, for for a while there. At one point in the second half, they just simply said on the telecast, this is really an ugly game because there was a stretch where both teams were just – Maryland in particular went through a stretch in the late in the first half where they couldn't hit anything. Uh, Neither team shot a well from three. Awful. Um, You know, again, exiting that that Minnesota game – a little over a week ago, you saw a team in Minnesota, and I think a lot of it was personnel driven. But they just said, "Hey, we gotta we gotta zone the whole game. We gotta zone the whole game." And I think with what Trace Jackson Davis has done in recent games, we played the Kevin Willard comments yesterday, just beyond gushing about what Trace Jackson Davis is doing, and rightfully so. Maryland looked at it, and Maryland is not a super tall team. Not like they got a bunch of six eleven dudes or six ten dudes that you know play in the post. They were very committed to not only playing some zone, but just a little bit of pressure. And Mike Woodson mentioned it afterwards. I think that just kind of rattled Indiana a little bit. Not necessarily with the turnovers, but you just were kind of slow getting into your offense. Didn't get a lot of great shots. Again, Maryland then came out of that press and would settle into a zone. Um, And Jalen Hood-Shafino, Jake, for how good he was on Saturday, if you look at the games around that, 1 of 14 last night. And then before the Ohio State game, he was 2 of 11 and 1 of 6 yeah. in his two previous games. Again, he's not a natural point guard. Extremely talented. Can handle it, certainly. But it's almost like a little bit better suited, I think, just to alleviate some of that pressure when you can put him off the ball and he's not having to handle those responsibilities. Because Indiana's not at a point right now where you can just outright you know, bench him for long stretches. Um, you know, you, you aren't. You just don't have the amount of weapons. Tamar Bates was struggling last night as well. So my question moving forward is, and you see some stubbornness from Big Ten teams that don't want to do this, but will you see the IU blueprint just turn into, all right, we don't play a lot of zone, but that's what we got to do? No, I think so. I, that and then, as we talked about earlier, you know, the I don't know that you'd say it was necessarily like full court trap, but they pressed them a little bit, just right? Picked them up like 60, 70 feet. Correct. You know, Indiana did a really good job, I thought, early in the second half of establishing the high-low game where, you know, you'd flash whether it was Trace Jackson Davis up towards the top of the key and then Race Thompson flashes underneath them. You know, they did a good job of getting the ball into the low post in those ways. And drawing fouls. Correct. But then all of a sudden, like that kind of went away, and and Maryland defensively seemed to get a little more aggressive on Jackson Davis and just push him away from the areas where he best operates. And and he seemed to kind of force things at that point. Um, He is so good around the basket with both hands at, at finishing around the basket and using his quickness. But... He still has not developed necessarily a 10-foot-out, like, quick pull-up jumper. 
So if he gets pushed away from the paint, he is limited is probably the wrong word. But it takes – Maryland did a really good job of taking away where he is comfortable. He was uncomfortable. And even though he had a – you know, he set the fieldhouse record at Maryland last night for rebounds in a game, I believe I heard Don Fisher say. 18-20 and 20 for Trace last night. I mean, that's pretty unbelievable, right, to sit here and say that he had basically an off night, if you will. Yeah, and he, Jake, I, I, I'm not going off night for him. I, I, I don't know how he shot it. I, do you have the box score in front of you? Um. I guess he didn't shoot it great, but for me, it was just so much more perimeter base. Yeah, I mean, well, that's the thing. It's it is. I'm not saying it's his fault. I mean, there was nothing. You know, and actually, yesterday, I saw a lot of people debating this because of the comments that Willard had made, the Maryland coach, about Trace Jackson Davis being a better player, a more dominant player right now this year than Zach Eady. And so that created debate between people, you know, and and I saw people saying, well, Trace Jackson Davis only puts up those numbers because he's the only player on the team. Well, I don't know that I would go that far, but I do think that Purdue has a better ability to win games where they have off nights from Zach Eady. And again, it's crazy to say off night for Trace Jackson Davis, but... Indiana seven fl- of thirteen. Indiana flat. Here's the here's the best way of saying it. Indiana flat out cannot win games where they cannot shoot the ball from the outside. I think Purdue can still win games if they don't shoot the ball well from the outside. But Purdue is more likely to give Edie that help. I think from their outside shooting. I that just the the blueprint is out to your point, and that is you. You basically test and you you pack it in and you and you challenge Indiana to, to beat you from the outside. And last night they couldn't do it. I know Adam wanted to chat a little bit about Indiana basketball. What's up, Adam? Adam? Hey guys, how you doing? Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I got you loud and clear. Sorry about that. Oh, uh, uh, no worries, guys. Uh, I was I think you guys hit hit the nail on the head with all, a lot of your bullet points that you came out uh, from the top with. I think one of the most disappointing things about this this major letdown is is the turnovers. Twelve turnovers. I mean, trying to get momentum, winning on the road in Big Ten basketball is already tough enough. And, and you know, obviously TJD. I mean, eighteen points, twenty rebounds. He did his thing. He was dominant, air quotes. But where's the support? Is it Shafino? What like one for fourteen? You can't turn over the you can't turn over basketball twelve times. I'm just, uh, uh, I guess I'm, I'm disappointed in, in that fact. The officiating is consistently horrific in the Big Ten. Um, I'll let you guys go. I'm just, just super disappointed. I, you, I can't wait to see what happens this weekend. It, let me let me clarify one thing, Adam. Certainly I appreciate can't wait till Saturday. When I say Trace Jackson Davis had an off night, I, I don't mean necessarily he didn't play well. I mean, most nights he's going to hit more than seven. He, he's going to get the look of more than seven field goals. He hit seven field. I mean, he was seven to thirteen. Nothing wrong with that. But you know, typically he's going to get. He's just going to. They're going to be able to get him the ball more and get him in high percentage areas more. You are not going to. If you are Indiana, you are flat out. No matter what team you are, but for Indiana in particular, Indiana is not roster deep and talented enough to win games on a regular basis. Where Jalen Hood, Shafino, Trey Galloway, and Tamar Bates. If you pick, we're going to pick on those guys. They went a combined four of 23. Yeah, right. Four of 23. You know, Jake, I mentioned this earlier, and it kind of builds a little bit off Adam's point. Um, a stat that I always find myself 
watching college basketball games looking towards is when does a team get into the bonus? When do you get to the foul line? Do you get those guaranteed attempts at obviously super high percentage looks, points, etc.? And last night, IU had a really nice start to the second half in drawing fouls on Maryland. They got into the bonus with 13 minutes to go in the game. So clearly the whistle and their aggressiveness, and I always think it's a combination. You've got to be aggressive, particularly on the road, to earn that whistle. They got in the bonus within the first six minutes of the second half, seven minutes of the second half. That is super rare. They shot one free throw the rest of the game. One free throw. That was on a Trace Jackson Davis and one. Like That cannot happen. Is some of that road whistle in the Big Ten? Sure. But I think some of it was settling from the perimeter. And again, a little bit of the Maryland pressure. Adam brought up turnovers. That that, that turnover number that Adam brought up, 12. I want to say when Dane Fife was in here a couple weeks ago, he mentioned as a coach, particularly on the road, you'd probably sign up for 9 to 11 turnovers. Yeah. I mean, and I think without your starting point guard, that probably is a number that Mike Woodson could be okay with. I just felt like when they got into the offensive set, and again, credit to Maryland for changing up defenses and, again, a little bit of token pressure, a little bit of zone, um, the fact that they were able to kind of slow Indiana down, and once IU got in the bonus, that's where, as a coaching staff, in a freshman point guard who's not his natural position, he probably doesn't fully grasp it, but that is a... If you have a veteran point guard in there or you have a coaching staff that is realizing that every huddle it's got to be, guys, we're in the bonus. We've got to continue to attack because Maryland is not super big and go on from there. Um, Jordan Geronimo, I, you know, not having him there for two straight games now, I I know that he's not necessarily a marquee player, but it, but it does feel like I, I liked the lift that he was able to give them for a little bit. Um, and, and I think that not having him out there probably hurt Indiana a little bit as well just because he could have given them a little bit of breathing room down low. But um, the the backcourt just has to be better. By the way, I, I want to say, you know one area where I have really kind of neglected things here? Amongst many, probably. Um, Mark, you, get, you have a good time monitoring or keeping up with or checking in on the YouTube chat, right? Uh-huh. Like we have... So there are multiple ways to consume this fine product, um, and one of those is on YouTube. And the guys and gals on the on the right hand column, if you will, on the YouTube chat, I have not been the best at, at checking in on them and, and looking. You know what I mean? It's a great group. Uh, Scotty, Patrick, Brian, Jennifer, those are the ones that are on right now. Matthew's there as well. Um. I like the conversation that they have. I love the fact that they tune in to us and that that's the way that they consume it and that they interact and it is very much appreciated. Because I haven't necessarily recognized it in the past doesn't mean that I'm not aware of it or appreciative of... It's a fun, interactive bunch. Totally. They're in there on a very consistent basis. Um, We're going to play this clip here in just a second. Um, But Jake, some breaking news from the NFL. Tom Brady says he's retiring for good. I have deja vu. Did he utter that phrase last year? I kind of forget how he announced it. I thought it was just like a post. Um, yeah, Mark, if you have that clip, this is from Tom Brady. Yep, posted just under a minute ago. The uh, caption, truly grateful on this day. Thank you. Here is Tom Brady. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. 
I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first, so I uh, won't be long-winded. Like you only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year, so I uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors, uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. Uh, he was on a beach, it sounded like, right? Yep. Yeah, that's what the background looked like there. 45 years old, Tom Brady. Um, from the NFL. You know, obviously a great career. No question about that. Um, you know, the... Certainly, the. I thought you were going to go. He looks like plastic. Honestly, he yeah. is an odd-looking dude. I, he's just a, a strange-looking individual. He was a, such a. I mean, obviously, a nice-looking guy, but um, the, the the angle that he shot this, his he looks like Max Hedrum. But um, you know, the debate will go on forever about if he is the greatest quarterback of all time, and it's certainly hard to say that he is not. I have always felt like the most Greatest succinct winner. way to say it is this. He's the most accomplished quarterback in the history of the National Football League. Period. I mean, I thought he really did. And I know a lot of people would say, you know, there have been a lot of great quarterbacks where people say, like, don't you remember him? Do you remember Joe Namath as a Ram? Or do you remember Johnny Unitas as a Charger? Or Joe Montana was a pretty good chief, actually. But... You know, Brett Favre is a jet, those things. Tom Brady is a buck. I realized that the last year there was a little rough. But him going to Tampa and winning a Super Bowl, to me, was the – that is the thing that you that, – that I think will be pointed towards of cementing his greatness, not that it needed it with so many championships, but the fact that he was able to get out from underneath – the the statement or the claim of Bill Belichick is just coming up with schemes for him and he's a system quarterback. I think that started to go away by the time you start winning like five, six championships. But um, to me, that was where it was like, man, this guy does have an it factor about him. The thing that stood out to me about Brady, Jake, is just that longevity in yeah. that you know 23 seasons speaks for itself. But if you look at his career... He obviously won, what, three Super Bowls in his first four years as a starter. But if you look at the years he led the league in passing, the years he won Super Bowls, it's really spread out. And to me, that is what is even more impressive. Of like, It wasn't you win three and four years to start your career, and then there's another stretch at year 11 where you win three and four years. And you just kind of have these two really hot stretches. You had the right core together for a few years, and you're able to make these perennial runs, and you're able to obviously win the Super Bowl. That would be great in its own self. But the fact that you look at it, and his Super Bowl wins are 01, 03, 04. Then he has that longish quiet period for him. Then he wins another one in 2014, and 2016, and 2018. And then to your point, what he did in Tampa in winning that Super Bowl where he threw for over, what, 50-some hundred yards that season. I mean, at age 40, 
whatever he was, 43 or 44, the dude leads the league in passing in the NFL. This was not just a five or six year period of extreme greatness that happened twice in his career. It was spread out over the entire 23 year span. And that to me, LeBron has some of that. And I get the basketball is a little different, but Brady to me is defined doing it from his rookie year all the way up until year 22. One of the things about him, about Tom Brady, um, that maybe it's unfair when you talk about him as a football player, and, and maybe it's a discussion for another day, but in a in a career where he always made the right decision, I mean, that's the thing about him as a quarterback, you know, he, he always would make the right decisions late in games. He When you knew when the ball was going over to New England with, with Two minutes left, you're like, oh, here we go. Uh, except for Marlon Jackson, of course. But he did go probably to the well one too many times by going back. And I don't mean that as from a playing standpoint, and it's certainly a, a topic and a conversation that we could have for hours and hours and hours on other programs that get into beyond football. But the the one area that about him that will probably be addressed forever Kevin is the fact that while we don't know what goes on in people's personal lives and we don't know the intricacies of things that go on inside one's home the appearance would be or the perception would be that his decision to go back for one final year cost him his marriage and his intact family and he lost on that gamble because he did not have a great year and now he's a divorced single guy and you know whatever else I don't know if that was the deciding factor in his divorce and I don't know that it's for me to speculate on that except for to say that even I'm doing it right there that that's that's something that also will always now be kind of tabbed with him but part of greatness is to have all areas and aspects of, of your life be something that people are fascinated by and yeah. he enters that arena um we're gonna. You said Stephen Holder was going to the Pro Bowl, Mark. Yep. Senior Bowl or Pro Bowl? Pro Bowl. Gosh, I mean Vegas sounds fun, I guess, but yeah. it sounds not very enjoyable to be honest. Really? Now, what would you not like about the Pro Bowl? Well, I, from You're a not... professional standpoint, I don't think it's super beneficial. Like, who is there that you really want to talk to? Pro Bowlers. In Stephen's case, I would think he would say there's more people that. He'd you don't rather, want to watch the skills competition of guys that threw two touchdown passes all season long? He'd rather chat with some NFL higher-ups in Mobile than than Vegas. I bring that up to say, Stephen wrote kind of a long piece on the Colts, Jim Irsay, how they got here. And within that piece, and this has come out, I think, a little bit more recently. I know Peter King mentioned this as well, that the Colts... I want to say Peter King worded it that Tom Brady had interest in the Colts leaving New England a couple years ago. I remember that. And it wasn't necessarily reciprocated by everyone in the Colts organization. Um, now, would that have been the Phillip Rivers signing offseason? I, I think it was the Carson Wentz, wasn't it? Brady played in Tampa for how long, Mark? Two three years. years? I believe three, yeah. Oh, no, three, you're right. Super, Super Bowl, Bowl and to then, the Rams, correct, and then correct, this past three, year. Yeah. So, yeah, that, that would have been Rivers, right? You go back three years, the Colts have gone Matt Ryan, right. Carson Wentz, Rivers. Um Always curious how that would have played out had and who was the deciding factor on that. Maybe we'll have Steven on tomorrow to chat more about that. Uh, Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl wins, five Super Bowl MVPs, three NFL MVPs. Uh, The stat that has always kind of stood out to me is he has more playoff wins than every franchise but two. 
Yeah, that's amazing. And one of them is the team he played for for 20 years in New England. Um, today was the one-year anniversary of him announcing his retirement last year, too. Oh, boy. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, Fox Booth? Yeah, 17 no, It's more than that, right? How much is it a year? A bunch. They're paying him? A ton. Let's see if I can find it. And how do we know that he'll be good at that? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm... 10 years, $375 million, apparently. Yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see him in the in the booth. I wonder if his job with Fox is more than just as a booth analyst of football games. Does that bump uh, Greg Olson down to the B group then? And Greg Olson does a heck of a job too. Hey, I He's actually think very Greg good. Olson does a nice job, and, and that's the Super Bowl crew. Olson, Kevin Burkhart. Well, what do you mean by that, Jake? Like, what else Fox like in studio and? Uh, I mean, political so, analyst. I mean, hasn't he? Oh, really? Uh, hasn't there been? Hasn't there been some speculation that he could go beyond just being a football analyst and actually be, you know, kind of like Michael Strahan, just a, a, a multi-purpose guy, whether it be on Fox News or, or other areas? For that amount of money, it seems like it would be more than just sixteen weeks, right? Boy, you talk about making that amount of money and only working whatever eighteen Sundays when you throw yeah, I mean, the playoffs as well. You know the. Speaking of that, that kind of segues, and I mentioned this to you guys, I think on maybe on Monday. He was so good when he first was did games because people were like, holy cow, Tony Romo's like predicting plays before it even happens. He was unbelievable. But do they need to switch him to decaf before games? Like, is Tony Romo now like too excitable and too over the top? that it's already hit its fatigue factor. I think what happened, at least this is my opinion, is I think that he shotguns a couple of Red Bulls with some Yeah, that's vodka what I mean. In it I mean it's like oh, I mean he's just constant. when when he when he the first year he was in the booth was a year removed from playing. So he knew all those defenses and what he was looking at. So that's how he was predicting plays. Now he's been out of the game for a few years. He doesn't know the plays That's as an well. excellent point. I think that's what happened. Tony the Romo kind of acts off. in the booth how Jalen Hudgefino act playing basketball last night. <laughs> that's also a good point just kind of like winding up and like just Literally. bouncing all over the place like what are we doing here i can't Seriously. give the proper accreditation but i saw a tweet when the game was going on and someone said tony romo's broadcasting career is kind of like tony romo's playing career where he, like wow who's this guy he's pretty good and then years start going by like oh he's he's all right that's a good way to describe it yeah you can't mm-hmm. win the big game I, yeah. I don't think that anybody just like he's not unlikable He's just annoying. Yeah, it's just he had some Jordan analogy from Mahomes that just was so forced the other day. But Tom Brady retiring at age forty-five. We'll play that clip again a little bit later. I'm retiring for good. That was the quote, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. In there. Uh, so Tom Brady releasing that thirteen minutes ago. Nate Atkins from the Star going to join us here in a few to talk Colts head coaching search. Let's do a morning checkdown. <laughs> The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. You know what? I'll give the cards a little love here, leading off the Morning Checkdown, because we talked a lot about Indiana, which we'll get back to with Maryland. But how about Ball State last night getting a win on the road? 69-60 winners in Bowling Green. That vaults Mike Lewis's cards to 15-7 and seven overall. They are 6-3 and three in the MAC. Jerron Coleman with 19. Jalen Sellers, 11 points for Ball State. Chirp, chirp there. Um, last night in College Park, Indiana loses to Maryland 66-55. Jalen hood Shafino, 1 of 14 from the floor. Indiana was 3 of 11 from behind the arc. 
Um, again, the zone, a little bit of press from Maryland, caused some offensive issues for the Hoosiers. Maryland has not lost at home in Big Ten um, during the Big Ten season here. Indiana's five-game win streak comes to a close. Uh, here was Mike Woodson afterwards on the offensive issues. And we go a little something like this. Hit it. We could make shots. You know, you got to give them credit to I mean, you know, I thought the... Uh, the 2-2-1 didn't hurt us, but it didn't allow us to freelance and play. And, you know, we got the ball up the court, and, and then we just became lackluster. Couldn't make shots. You know, some high perimeter play was non-existent tonight. And, you know, we haven't had it like that in a while. Uh, so, I mean, we just got to regroup. You know I mean? It's, you know, I thought defensively we put so much pressure on our defense to get stops. And, you know, they shoot 30%, 20-something percent from the three. You got to think that you can win a game when that happens. And I'll rebound them. I mean, we couldn't find any offense. By the way, when he says the 2-2-1 didn't hurt us, but it slowed us down from doing anything, that means, in fact, it hurt them. Yeah, spot on. Just getting into their offensive sets and issues all night long. Tonight will be Purdue hosting Penn State, a rematch of a game Purdue pulled away from uh, last month, again, Micah Shrewsbury, the former Matt Painter assistant, they like to shoot a lot of threes. We'll see what they have cooked up because Zach Eady was dominant in that first matchup. On the Pacers' note, nothing again today in terms of a game. Uh, they were able to have a full practice yesterday. That included Tyrese Halliburton. you got to think he's looking at these games as ones that he'd like to get back for. Still has not been officially cleared. He said the hope is he will play, though. Lakers tomorrow. Kings on Friday. The Lakers did win in overtime last night. Of course, the Pacers have really struggled without Halliburton. They've lost 10 of their last 11. Eight games to go until the All-Star break and that trade deadline a week from today. We come back here on Kevin and Corey. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Stars going to join us. The Colts have what could be their final second interview reportedly today. That's with Brian Callahan, the Bengals OC. We'll get Nate's thoughts on that where he thinks things stand about three and a half weeks into this Colts head coaching search. We'll do that next here. Kevin and Corey. 26 minutes before the hour of 9 o'clock. Jake Corey along with Kevin Bowen here. The big news this morning, if you're just joining us, where have you been? Uh, Tom Brady announcing his official retirement part. Duh. Now, he was on a beach. Is that in California, you think, or was he in Florida? I'm assuming Florida. Looked a little... uh, Sunny, so I would assume Eastern time zone. Oh, yeah, I guess you're right, because it is early out west. Uh, I think someone's walking on the beach and like, is that Tom Brady? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is he filming a video? Oh, look, a seashell. Hey, Tom. He just, like... You're very turned off by his appearance. He looks, honestly, like, he just doesn't look healthy. I know that, like, he's like this health guru. Didn't he just play an... NFL season? I, I get it. He looks emaciated, quite frankly. It's quite the quite the comment on Tom Brady's retirement day. Um, let's get back in our I'm Colts. not the only one thinking it. Guarantee it. Colts head coaching search. Nate Atkins from the Star joins us. Nate, I actually want to start here. Do you make anything out of the Colts not announcing their second interviews? Like, we have completed an interview with blah, 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 compared to what they did with their first round. Do you make anything of that? Yeah, it's a little bit interesting. I wonder if just some of that, like the schedule has been a little bit wonky for that. You know, of course, Dan Quinn backed out of one interview. They replaced him with 
uh, Wink Martindale from the Giants. You know, they've had some some challenges with that. You know, with the Eagles making the Super Bowl, they're uh, looking to interview Shane Steichen in Philadelphia. They've been trying to find a time to put Brian Callahan. So I don't know if it's just been a little harder to coordinate that one than, than maybe the first round. Uh, it's kind of hard to say. I also I know that they've you know they've tried to keep that list fluid for the second interviews based on. You know, decisions like Dan Quinn, also like who makes the Super Bowl, who who might back out. I know they were very interested in D'Amico Ryans, who ultimately decided not to, you know, to just kind of move ahead and, and, and become the Texans head coach. So I, I, it is interesting, but I'm not too sure what to make of it. Nate, a debate that we've had, again, Nate Atkins from the Star joins us here, does a great job covering the Colts alongside Joel Erickson. Um, a debate that Jake and I have been having the past couple of days is – what do you think Chris Ballard and Jim Mersey covet? Because if you look at the recent candidates that have interviewed, I, I kind of group, the, group them into a couple categories. Well, let's put the defensive coaches to the side for a second. Over the weekend, you know, a, a Wink Martindale shows up, and then a Rich Passaccia shows up. Those, to me, would qualify as some leaders, some Bruce Arians-type vibes almost of a different personality. Then recently, this week, it's been a Shane Steichen and then reportedly Brian Callahan today. Those obviously fall more into the offensive-minded hire. If you were guessing, where do you think Ballard and Ursay sit more, offensively or leader? It's interesting to me is I get the sense that they're kind of in different places with that, at least to some level. So Jim Ursay, you know, when he decided to make the bold switch at midseason, you know, firing Frank Reich, bringing in Jeff Saturday, that was so much rooted in the idea of a leader, the motivator, the sort of, uh, you know, the fired up coach, the fire and brimstone coach. And so he went with a former, you know, offensive lineman who'd never coached above high school, knowing that there's no way that guy's going to come in with any kind of set scheme or playbook or real, you know, identity to have for an offense beyond just, you know, increasing the, the amount of run plays. Uh, you know, but he really, really believed in in all those traits, and um, that's why Jeff Saturday is still a candidate. Obviously, when they didn't, you know, they didn't exactly perform on offense when he was here. Uh, meanwhile, if you look at Chris Ballard's track record, the guys he's uh, either hired or tried to hire in this role before, you know, it's there's he he pushed hard for Bruce Arians in Chicago, who's obviously an offensive line. Uh, tried for Josh McDaniels, and then wound up with Frank Reich, and I think that that's often been his model of knowing he is much more comfortable on the defensive side. This is Chris Ballard. He's comfortable drafting there. You know, he, he grew up uh, on, on, in the secondary as a coach. And then uh, that's just always where he's been most comfortable to scout. If you look at kind of where he makes the bigger investments in free agency, it's on that side of the ball. Cause he feels confident that you know he can go get a guy like Stephon Gilmore and it will fit perfectly. And I think he's wanted to rely more on the, the head coach to bring the offensive acumen. And, and really for a little bit there, it, it worked pretty well with Frank Reich until time ran out. So I think, you know, if it's, if it's up to, uh, if it's up to Chris Ballard, I think it's, it's more likely to go in an offensive direction, but he also knows that what he's doing here is he's presenting options to Jim Mercer, and it's got to be someone who can go in there in that second interview, sit down with both of them, and win Jim Mercer over. And that's going to take more than just you know having a lot of knowledge of uh, you know offensive philosophy, you know quarterback background. That's all the stuff that Frank Reich had that that Jim Mercer just it, you know when the, when teams make these changes, they almost always go 
pretty far to the opposite extreme. Sometimes that can be offense to defense, but that can also just be uh, you know stylistic. And I think definitely for Jim Mercy, what's going to appeal to him right now is something just temperament-wise and emotionally different from Frank Wright. It's it's just, just kind of where they are as a franchise. Where Jim Mercy has obviously been very upset for more than a year the way that things have gone with his quarterback play, with his franchise in general, and he's kind of ready for a coach to, to sort of match that. So I think Chris Burt Ballard is uh, stocking this, this second round with guys that are a mix of that, where it's some of the offensive guys he really likes, where he hopes that that, that can break through, but also giving him options for these these natural leader types like uh, Rich Bisaccia, Wake Martindale, and, uh, and and I put Raheem Morris there, uh, who's kind of got offensive and defensive background. Those guys who there's an idea that, that maybe they step into the interview and between their experience and their leadership, they end up winning Jim Mercer over in all the levels that he's most concerned with. Nate, when you look at the kind of the journey of this coaching search, do you believe, and I don't know that any of us know this, other than Chris Ballard, Jim Irsay, and, and those close to them inside the complex, but do you believe that they are more looking for a bright, innovative, young discovery, if you will, or are they looking for, have they shifted towards, you know what, we... We went outside the box with the interim hire of Jeff Saturday. It didn't work out very well. Let's just find a solid guy who has the experience and who's been around a while. Uh, as far as the experience, it's, again, that one's harder to read because I think Chris Ballard values it a little bit more than Jim Mercer does. But I think mostly what, what this is likely to lead to is something maybe a little bit more unconventional. Uh, obviously, like you mentioned, Saturday was sort of a – tip of the hand of that that they're willing to kind of go beyond just the the mold of like well who's the most experienced and qualified passing game guy to step in here even though you can argue that's what they they should do when they're going to bring in a rookie quarterback and they've got to totally rebuild this offense but i think they you know there's this idea of upside that is very much front and center for jim mercy right now he wants to go for something that's potential star when he hired uh you know when he brought in jeff saturday he kept bringing up uh, Bruce Arians is the other interim hire, and I, I, it causes people to kind of kind of laugh because the circumstances were nothing alike. But I think what he was trying to get at was just like people didn't really know what Bruce Arians was at that time, and he had a very different style, and it didn't necessarily win at that time. It wasn't winning over a lot of teams in interviews. He had all, he really went a long time thinking he'd never get a head coaching job. Then all of a sudden, we find out there's sort of this this star that's there uh, that just hadn't been given that chance. And I think when he looks around the division, you know, he's always been infatuated with the Titans and Mike Vrabel, the way he's just kind of stepped in and been just very different, even though it's not taken the same track record. He looks at, uh, you know, they were very interested in D'Amico Ryans, who's following the same exact model for the Texans. And so I think they want, you know, they, they're very much open to something that's that's maybe a little riskier, but but it would it would bring that, that chance of upside of this isn't just, you know, follow the same old model and try and develop a passing game and, and find a play caller, but something that they want to look back on in five, ten years and be like, yeah, we found our Mike Grable or our Mike Tomlin or what D'Amico Ryan's, what people hope he is. They, they would love to find that kind of person. Obviously, it's much easier said than done of actually finding that person. Yeah, Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star covers the Colts alongside Joel Erickson. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Um, 
Nate, I was mentioning this earlier. You know, three of the five openings around the league have been filled. Obviously, Frank Reich in Carolina, D'Amico Ryan's to Houston, Sean Payton to Denver. I don't necessarily think those moves necessarily have dominoes that impact the Colts' own search. I'm more curious on the assistant front. You know, what does that maybe do to some of the staff members this new Colts head coach would find? Uh, so, kind of going off that point. Um, what do you make of the Colts in Arizona being the last two? And then secondly, any names you're watching from this Indy staff to keep an eye on Frank Reich's staff in Carolina? Yeah, that's going to be the interesting thing is they stressed from the beginning that they wanted to take a patient search, you know, because the last one went so kind of crazy with Josh McDaniels. They wanted to really, they know how important this is to, to Chris Ballard's job security, to making the, you know, the rookie quarterback work, uh, you know, at the same time, like you said, there's that risk of there's a lot of movement in the NFL. There's not only the new coaches, the real dominoes, I think, that are out there, all the new offensive coordinators that are going to come into teams. It's a third of the league. And what happens there is it's not just the guy running the offense, but that guy often will bring in, you know, his quarterback coach, his offensive line coach. And there's just a lot of ripple effects there. So there's guys on this indie staff that I know that it depends on who they hire, but there's certain coaches that that would be interested in keeping them and, and the franchise is interested in. I mean, you could throw Bubba Ventrone out there and be pretty confident that the Colts would love to keep him. And uh, Frank Reich ended up going with someone else as his special teams coordinator, so that increases the chances. But for guys like that, at some point, you know, if they find a good opportunity with another coach they trust, you know, they may jump on that. It's a little... You know, it's always a little interesting with these because they are under contract. They have to be uh, granted and interviewed to another team. So it, it always kind of depends on how much the Colts want to keep a guy like that. But they've got to get they got to get a plan figured out to, to make that work. So I look at a guy like Gus Bradley, who you know I think there are certain guys, two coaches in particular in the finalist group, I think would be open to you know keeping him as a defensive coordinator just based on connections in the past. That's Rich Bisaccia and Raheem Morris both worked with him in Tampa Bay. And I know uh, I, I had the sense that Gus, you know, he'd be open to that, you know, under the right, uh, you know, the right coach that comes in, the right, just to be able to run it the way he wanted to, which is how he did this past year, and they were pretty successful. Gus has sort of a whole system now, not only schematically, but assistance he's brought along everywhere, like linebackers coach Richard Smith, defensive backs coach Ron Milas. And so I think he's he's also in play in Carolina. Uh, apparently that, you know, Frank Reich's going through a couple of options there for his defensive coordinator position. But that's sort of the domino effect is that wherever Gus goes, I, I, I feel pretty confident that he's going to bring at least two of those assistants. And so if, if that hire ends up happening, that's where you could really see kind of a remake on the defensive side of the ball, which may be fine for what they're looking at, but it's just something to very much consider because they do have some good things in place here. Everything that fell apart last year mostly was offensive. So if they can kind of make a smooth hire that that would be open-minded to keeping some of the special teams and defensive guys, there could be a you know a way to balance this where you build off what is good here, which is how Chris Bowers drafted and developed the defense and how it was coached last year in special teams while remaking the parts that have to get so much better on the offensive side of the ball. But the longer they wait, you know, they do risk someone like Frank Reich just saying, Hey Gus, why don't you bring your staff here? Why don't we do it the same way we've done it? Uh, we did it last year and, and, and why wait around? Is Jeff Saturday still legitimately in the mix? He is definitely in the mix. 
and that'll always be true as long as you know Jim Irsay is making the decision. You know, I think the second that he got a second interview, it very much signaled that that this thing's real. I mean, they, really, it's like a third interview for him because you know the first one was just the eight weeks he had on the job. Of course, all all that Jim Irsay already knew about just Saturday, uh, but he's here at this point, and it's you know Jim Irsay has set, has not been in on the first round of interviews, so. Saturday was always going to have that leg up of that sort of personal inside track. Uh, and this is where these other guys will come in and try and present their plan as they're all more experienced. They, many of them have, they have blueprints. They have things they've actually done. You know, they put their ideas into motion. Uh, but with Jim Mercer, ever since he brought Jeff in as the interim, you know, was not as concerned about, you know, have you proven it? Have you, have you coached this long? And he really is on the, on the track of, you know, playing experience can lead to, uh, lead to coaching, you know, that can count like coaching experience. So Saturday is definitely going to be one of the final couple guys that they're looking at. And the question is just, you know, can, can Jim Irsay distance himself from someone he's grown very, very close with? So when he uh, still believes in the upside for, can he real? Can he step back and, and think on a bigger level of what? How will this play out with you know the staff we want to build, with the quarterback we want to draft and develop as a 22 year old? Um, can we sell this all down, and how do we sell it to everyone around here? Uh, that's where you know I, I do think there are a couple guys that, that very much have a shot at the job. I would not call Jeff, you know, I. I, I I don't know if I'd call him the front runner. I think very much Raheem Morris and, and Brian Callahan have a good lane. Just a couple examples. There may be more guys that come in the second interview and, and take it, but I definitely think Jeff's in the mix. Nate, last one for me, and I, I want to shift away from the head coaching search, a news item um, that we saw in the last week. Jonathan Taylor, right ankle surgery for him. That's obviously been nagging him um, or did throughout this season. Um, he mentioned that it's been something that he's dealt with for a couple of years now. Um I believe I'm just guessing out there, but considering the dude had missed practice since he was in high school, this probably is the first surgery he's had in quite some time. Do you think in any way, shape or form this will or should impact the contract extension that is probably likely for him from the Colts this off season? I don't think it'll end up playing too much of a role. You know, the situation where coming into last year, you know, we thought of Jonathan Taylor as incredibly durable, you know, played all those games in, uh, he had missed a game to injury yet. And that includes a year where he ran for more than 500 yards, more than any other player in football in 2021. And then last year, you know, he really was pretty, pretty durable considering what he was dealing with. That high ankle sprain popped up, you know, that was like week four or five of the season. And, and he made it through almost half the season beyond that. And it just, at some point, you know, between, you know, the team's record and just the inability for that kind of injury uh, for him to be effective behind that kind of offensive line, just it became time to shut it down. That, that risk is there for any running back. But I think they realize that, you know, they're, they're in an uphill battle with, trying to rebuild this passing game. They're going to have a new coach and a new scheme. They're going to be drafting a rookie quarterback in. They've got to remake the offensive line. I think the one thing that they want to supply that quarterback with is a superstar runner, and that's what Jonathan Taylor can be. Of course, they they know that you know the reason he got hurt, and I mean, there's a risk to every running back, but for him, he got hurt you know, at the bottom of a pile after you know, time and again running into the backs of his own offensive line. So they've got to create a better system to kind of avoid some of those situations. They need to get him 
more sprinting to the perimeter and running on those long gains and, and you know, taking some, some plays to the, the distance or, you know, getting leveled up on the defensive backs. That's what he did more in 2021. And so the types of hits he was taking were just healthier uh, than the ones he took last year. So I don't think it'll really affect it. I think I expect that deal to, to go through and get done. And, um, and they just got to hope and, and, and find some way to, to get more out of it. Because uh, as you know, if you, you, you pay a running back a lot of money, you know, if you, if you don't find a way to keep that guy productive and healthy, you know, it just ends up creating diminishing returns. But I don't think they're looking at it that way. I think they look at this injury as just a blip. Nate Atkins of the Indianapolis Star on a very busy morning. Nate, we appreciate the time. Look forward to talking to you as the search continues, all right? For sure, guys. Hope next time we talk, we have a head coach. <laughs> That's right. All right. Amen uh, to that. Thanks, Nate. Nate Atkins from the Indianapolis Star. And as I said, a busy morning because Tom Brady announcing his retirement from the National Football League earlier. And then in the last 20 minutes or so, one of the all-time greats in terms of on-stage performers in the world of music announcing for health purposes that his touring career has also come to an end. We'll tell you who that is when we come back to Kevin and Quarry here on a Wednesday morning, 93.5-1075 The Fan. On this, the first day of February in 2023, Tom Brady announcing his retirement via video this morning and then around the same time, actually. Ozzy Osbourne, 74-year-old, of course, legendary Heavy metal singer, Black Sabbath, before solo career, television career, etc., announcing that after a back injury that he suffered, a spinal injury, that he has now made the difficult decision that he will no longer tour and that refunds will be issued at point of purchase for all tickets for any tour dates that he had in 2023, which I think was set to be like a farewell tour for him, but it has apparently prematurely come to an end saying i love you all and this is the hardest thing that i've had to announce ozzy osbourne announcing his retirement from touring every Uh, time i hear crazy train jake i think third down in an nfl game (laughs) i think you're not alone in that regard you're not alone And you think tom brady looks older than ozzy osbourne he does yes that is correct ozzy's age 74 years old gosh that's a hell of an effort him trying to go on tour just at that age 74 years and just one bat to my knowledge <laughs> not to mention everything so, you know. he's been through uh dane fife joins us next here kevin and Corey. now jake uh we have a boycott that's about to end I've, is that what i was unaware of the boycott from the get-go I, story of my life i feel a little out of the loop well, and it sounds like you are as well telling me i'll just head down to qdoba you guys can chat it up well i our next guest an icon and many Walks of life. He is the one and only Dane Fife. He joins us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Dane, I, I'm unaware of this. Uh, I, I say I'm unaware, but I'm a fan of it. A, a Jake Query boycott sounds like heaven, frankly. Um, tell me more about this. Well, first of all, such such an icon. Thanks for the intro. <laughs> Kevin, an icon. You called me. Did you call me an icon? Well, literally, last time that we chatted, you brought up Fluff Cowan. Anytime you bring up Fluff okay. Cowan to me, you're going to be labeled an icon. Fellas, so I'm sitting here on my couch. I got beat up. I'm looking at the classified ads, trying to find a job. Um, I'm not sure if that's iconic, but what is iconic was my 20 year boycott of Mr. Query. Uh, Jake, you didn't know it. Um, I didn't really know it until Mark and I conjured it up here uh, when I texted back and forth with him <laughs> yesterday. Uh, we were trying to figure out a way how I could avoid 
talking to you throughout the the interview. Um, I think Mark chickened out, though. I guess I did, too. Just as a joke. It was no boycott. Well, I mean, it's been a while since I've talked to you, so I thought, well, maybe there was a boycott. Although we did text back and forth at one point, you know what I mean? Yeah, we did. We, uh, yeah, well, that's not technically, you know. Speaking, that's not speaking. That is correct. Yeah. Well, it's nice to speak with you. I- I'd like to know this, uh, yeah. since since you've you're looking is this for your jobs first in the question. Is yeah, this, this is my first question. question. Okay, well, my first we question was was I was there really a boycott? And so now we've cleared that air. Uh, yeah. I'd like to know if you find yourself this morning while you are looking for a job in the classifieds, do you find yourself more upset that Tom Brady now is done with his job or that Ozzy Osbourne is done with his job? Wow. I was bracing myself for something a lot less intense than that that's not a very good icebreaker jake talk about the hard hitters on this wednesday morning yeah, here i'm I, a football guy are you purdue I, week I love, you gotta go there yeah that's true i i love football so it's uh it's, it's a tough one and brady's you know about our age jake i think he's a little younger than you a little older than me uh but um and I was a Michigan guy growing up, Michigan football through and through, uh, until I went and worked for Sparty for ten years. But uh, Brady was Brady was a guy that uh, during my my era of love with Michigan football, uh, I, I uh, had a lot of a lot of respect, rooted for him with some with some vigor and uh it's it's a tough one it's a tough one to were see you, tb go i call him tb i don't know why one. i was thinking this were you a mr were you mr football in the state of michigan am i way off base with that uh, no i don't think you're off base i'm not sure they had mr football but that was drew henson you know he he's the one that i think started over tom brady that's why tom brady's bitter party of one there still um but i think drew henson was my same grade, and he started over Brady, I believe, at Michigan for a, for a year or two. Staying five, he's with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline, looking at the classified section and also multitasking by joining us here on this Wednesday morning. Uh, Dane, uh, what was your record against Purdue as a player? Oh gosh, why? I I think it was uh, I think it was even. No, no, four and two, four and two. We split the first year, split the second year, and then I believe the following two years were just home and home, or just a single game. We beat them there and beat them at home. Uh, we only had one game per year. When, I believe when, that's the way it worked. When you were a player and or on Mike Woodson's staff, was there any sort of this one means more, we're going to put more into the scouting report, blah, 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 or was it simply just, hey, when you're in the Big Ten schedule, you just take these games as they show up on the schedule and move on to the next one? Well, I can tell you as a player, uh, <laughs> we uh, we got beat at home by freshman year, and you know my ego was massive at that time, Jake. Please don't comment. Um, <laughs> Jake can probably share in that sentiment. That's right. Yeah. Well, I guess they're both pretty massive uh, currently as well. I'm speaking on mine and yours, Jake. Our, our egos. Our egos. Healthy. They're healthy, uh, Dane. E- easy now. Yeah. <laughs> so, so my freshman year, though, and I'll try to be quick with this. 
is um, we we beat them at we won at Purdue, but then we came home and we lost. Jerron Cornell hit a three. I, I'm pretty sure it was my could have been my sophomore, but I'm pretty sure it was my freshman year. And I'd played well throughout the game, and then all, and then I came out probably foul trouble uh, towards the end of the game, and it was a tight game. We were either down one, it could have been tied, uh, but. Purdue had the last shot. So we come out of a timeout, and they run a stagger for Jerron Cornell. I'm not in the game. And Jerron Cornell came off and hit the three, and won, and they won the game. So the next day, Coach Knight um, called us in at 5.30 practice, and we were playing. And, and I was just – I was mad because we were up early. I was mad because I didn't play, and my ego got in the way. And I decided I, was, I wasn't going to boycott. But I was going to protest, so I right. was kind of being a jerk and moving slow and trying to draw attention to myself because I felt like uh, I felt like um, Coach Knight lost the game. So just one thing led to another. Coach Knight called me over, saying, "What the heck is?" I'm fixing words here, but mm-hmm. what 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 is your problem? I said, "You." He goes, what did I do? I said, well, you blew the game. You lost the game because you didn't have me in the game to stop Cornell. You know I should have been in the game. And he just kind of looked at me with his hands, kind of, you know, open palms, kind of looking at me like, this guy, this guy here. And just kind of kind of walked away from me. He thought, ah, there's no hope for this young man, but... That was the uh, morning, five thirty in the morning. You had young freshmen blaming blaming the coach for for losing the game. See, I would and, think he would love that, though. Honestly, I, I don't. I didn't play for Bob Knight. I don't know Bob Knight in that level. Yeah. But but he wouldn't say it probably. But I would think deep down he had to walk away and think to himself, "That's the kind of tenacity I need." Well, it it might have been, it might have been, especially if I were averaging, I don't know, double digits, um, points, um, you know, not spend a whole career in foul trouble, and you know, could could dunk, which I I couldn't. So it, it's kind of I, look. I'll take that from AJ Guy, and I'll take that from Luke Recker or Kirk Haston, but. You know, Fife, you, you average three points a game. You're shooting 25% from three. And it's it's hard to take that from from, from you. Right. <laughs> he, said, you like he didn't say that. I just, you know, looking back, it's, um, I don't know. He, it, it, whether Coach Knight was responsible for winning or losing the game, I'm not sure I had any say. If you um, yeah. were... Dane Fife is our guest. If you, and I know this might be a difficult question because you were on the Indiana staff and had Trace Jackson Davis. But yesterday when Kevin Willard came out with his comments before the game saying that he thinks Trace Jackson Davis is the best player in college basketball and then kind of in almost like his subconscious, he's like, I think he's, he might be better than Edie. It, yeah. it probably is 1-1A, one one I realize. But from a coaching standpoint, from an opposition standpoint – Trace Jackson Davis, Zach Eady. I'm not going to ask you, Dane Fife, which is the better player. Yeah. Which is yeah. the harder matchup? Well, I think just by sheer size. Um, you know, we always say, it, it, you know, in recruiting, if somebody's, you know, tall, 
they at 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 worst they can you know if they have no athleticism if they have you know if they don't if they can't run or take, they can always stand there and put their hand up and be tall in the game of basketball and I, and um, Zach Eady being seven four um, is the harder matchup uh, simply because of size but. It doesn't end there. I think that Zach Eady is is an incredible player. I mean, that what he's done to put himself in this position um, is it. It's not necessarily remarkable because you expect that from a, from Matt Painter and his staff, but it nonetheless um, hasn't just put Zach Eady in the running for the top player in the country, but Purdue the number of, you know, top team in the country. You know, all that said, Trace Jackson Davis, I will say this the other day, is, was, was my one of my favorite players to coach just because he wanted, he just, he really wants to get better. He wants to improve. He wants to be a good player. And, he, and most importantly, he wants to win. And he... I'm just so proud of Trace and what he's done. And I'm not giving myself any credit, but one of the complaints I would constantly gripe to Trace about or constantly talk to Trace about last year was you have to rebound. You have to rebound more. You have to get into double digits. You know, Coach Izzo back in the day promised Draymond that if he could average a double-double and it meant getting 10 rebounds a game, He'd be in the NBA, and he did the same thing with Xavier Tillman. And ironically, they're both in the NBA. Xavier's about to get his second contract, and I think that's no different for Trace because rebounding translates. Rebound translates at any level. If Query averages, uh, you know, ten rebounds in in the fifty and fifty and over rec league, then he can average ten rebounds when he bumps up to the. 70 and over rec league and I, i'm a know, rookie in the 50 hey I, i'm i'm so young in the 50 and over league because i'm just 50 that i'm still dumb enough to yell at my coach about losing games when i average three points a game and shoot 25 percent from the floor <laughs> right i'm the freshman and of the and f- blame the loss on the coach <laughs> that's right uh, i'm the freshman of the 50 league right yeah and I, i'm sorry guys that was a lot of talk and ask some questions that uh, was that was a lot Terrific insight. I'm going to tap into that a little bit more here. Jane, uh, Dane Five is with us here on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Uh, Dane, let's say Matt Painter calls you up tomorrow and says, Dane, uh, knowing our personnel here at Purdue, how do you think we should defend Trace Jackson Davis? How would you answer that? Well, I think, um, you know, I think they, they do have a unique case with, with Dak Eady. Uh, just being so big, um, you know, pushing, what is he, two, around 285, and, and as we talked about, 7'4", uh, they do have some some flexibility, whether it's by front or, you know, play behind, post-double, or three-quarter, where you try to deny it all the way generally to make them, you know, to limit the um, the options. You know, you guys can envision kind of a three-quarter um defend but um what purdue does and they do it well and they practice it they're known for it is is they're going to double and they're generally going to 
allow Trace to catch it, not with ease, but they're going to allow him to catch it, and they're going to double from from the high side, and, and they attack. They attack generally uh, with their opposite big. So it, it'll be it'll be Gillis. It will be, um, oh, the, how did I forget? Caleb First. Them? Caleb First. Um, and, or it would be Kaufman, Wren, Gardner, and they're, they're going to, they may mix it up, but I would expect a double. And that's, at this point, the best way, the most effective way, but Trace, the way Trace is playing, I, I don't, I don't see it as a, you know, a major issue for him at all. You know, be it uh, busting up the double team and driving around or driving through it or making the kick out. Trace has just really worked to get himself in a, in a situation where he is, you know, he and Edie both are are probably neck and neck for the top player in the country right now. And then vice versa, um, you're Mike Woodson. You putting Trace on him. You doubling with Trace Thompson. You know, Trace got into that early foul trouble last year in the meeting down there in Bloomington, as I'm sure you remember. But how would you handle it from an Indiana standpoint in Garden Eady? Well, the way we did it last year, and the way we did it at Michigan State, and I'm surprised. I, I just I haven't seen it done very well um, this year. And but when when uh, when Purdue had Haas. Um, Isaac Isaac Haas was his name Isaac Haas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh-huh. you know, he's seven two three hundred, and essentially what we would do is we would get kind of directly behind him and move him out, okay, before he'd catch. So when when you get down the floor as the defender, you, you first of all you got to beat him down the floor. You have to let him. You know, you don't let him get set up. You try to get him set up as far out away from the basket as possible before he catches it. And then you just kind of you put your forearm right in the small middle of his back, and then you know you kind of your leg underneath him, and you try to root these big guys out as far away from the basket as possible. And essentially, what you're saying is, I'm going to let you catch the ball. Your your, your teammates are going to have that ball, and they're going to see your big butt wide open. But the issue is, is you're going to be a step farther out than you're used to. So when you have to catch it and put it on the floor, now the guys that, that want to come in and swipe and dig the guys on the perimeter, the defenders on the perimeter, you're, you're, you're closer to them. And so it's easier to uh, dig on the basketball to, to reach in and steal it. And you have to work as a big man, a lot harder to get to your sweet spot. You know, in, in Zach Eady's case, it's the jump hook. It's the right right hand over his left shoulder turn and jump hook. But, you know, that's what teams would do to Trace last year. I, I thought it, they did that to Trace Jackson Davis last night. Exactly that, Dane, right? Like, he – it's so weird to say that an 18.20 rebound performance was an off night for Jackson Davis. Yeah. yeah. But the fact that he was only able to get 13 shots off, I thought Maryland – kind of pushed him out of his comfort zone and he wasn't on the low block and they got him like 10 feet out and they let him get the ball there but but then you could tell he just he, he didn't he wasn't able to turn and face and so yeah that's the first time in a long time I've seen Trace Jackson Davis look uncomfortable am I off base in yeah. that assessment no you're not and and Trace's game if you, if you remember if you go back to like a team Illinois last year when they have Coburn okay they would run two plays for him a half, essentially two plays 
where they'd give him the ball on the block. The Illinois would come down. All right, we're getting Kofi the ball on the block this play. So we're going to run a cross screen. We're going to run something. So two plays per half. The rest of their offense involved Kofi starting out, setting a screen, setting multiple screens, and working his way in. And that's the best way because now you keep everybody involved. And I think for years, the Indiana team has tended to, um, with Trace there, has tended to look just, all right, Trace, here we go. Get down in the post. We're going to throw you the ball. And as a player, I know I felt this when I played, when we had Kirk Haston. When you catch that ball with 26 seconds on the shot clock and see Kirk Haston's big butt wide open in the post, you feel obligated to throw it. And I think what Illinois did well last year is I would say probably 80% of their offense involved Kofi Coburn uh, starting out and working his way in. And it keeps everybody involved. It keeps good flow. And I think that's where Trace is at his best. But you're right, Jake. Maryland did an excellent job. I saw a lot more of that last year where they would do the job on Trace. Now, I give it's changed twofold, I think. You know, teams are a lot different in the makeup of their personnel, but also Trace has gotten better. I also thought, Dane, and I want you to tell me if, if if this is inaccurate, and I realize that your job as a college coach is to make players great college basketball players. It is not necessarily to develop them as NBA players, although one kind of goes with the other. But yeah. to, to me, last night was the first chance that, that, that I thought to myself – and I think Trace Jackson Davis is a wonderful talent. I, I don't want it to, but when people talk about his NBA prospects, I thought last night it illuminated a little bit the areas of his game that are missing in terms of NBA level style of play. In other words, you get him yeah. away from the block, he didn't have the lateral quickness or the pull up off the dribble to, no, to separate no. himself. And that's the difference at the next level. Yeah. Well, if, if you're Trace, look, you don't need to, nobody makes you do it. Um, so why go out and work on something maybe that you're not comfortable with? Um, and I'm talking about in-game. Uh, and so, you know, he's is he better than Oscar Sheba? Let me ask you that. So he's averaging how many rebounds a game in the last – is he better than Sheba? I, I, I would take Trace over him, yeah. 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 And, and like I said, guys, rebounding translates. You know, like Jake Query, Query's going to average – 10 rebounds a game in the 15 over a league. Then he, when he grabs his false ID, his fake ID and goes to the 70, 70 and older basketball, he's going to average 10 rebounds and maybe 11. And it's the same with trace. You know, when he goes to the, to the NBA, he's going to be able to rebound. And there's a, look at the Lee. I, I just, I think there's way too much made about trace, what trace can't do because what he can do is, one, he's an he's an incredible athlete. Um, he can fly. He doesn't get tired very often. He doesn't foul. He knows how to defend without fouling, and he can rebound. I mean, what are they? Honestly, it's it's to me, it's another case of like a Draymond Green where he gets drafted second round and he's a Hall of Famer. You know, Xavier Tillman gets drafted second round and he's. He's pretty much starting for the Grizzlies his first and second years. And he's been hurt now, but to me, it's you're getting a guy that Trace doesn't cause problems. 
He works his butt off. He'll do whatever you ask him if you just ask him. Um, and then he'll he'll um, bring bring what he's what he's what he's what he brings. He's consistent. I mean, now that he's rebounding, guys, uh, it's going to be another case if they if he goes second round. It's going to be another case of well, if he goes second yeah. round, does he contemplate coming back just because of nil alone in Indiana? And that's not a bad thing. But I'm saying, does he say, you know what, I'll go one more year of this? Well. Essentially, he'll have a tough decision to make. I, I just don't see it. I, I don't see it. I don't get it. Um, well, maybe that's why I'm looking at the classifieds, fellas. I, by um, the way, I think you're selling yourself short. I think you had an extra win against Purdue. Is that five and two? I, I'm, I'm thinking five and two. You said you had only one. It looks like you had two games in 2001 against him. Okay. One by 16 so and one by 11. You guys won by a lot late in your career against him. Well, they had a lot of injuries. They, I know that they had a ton of injuries, and that was right at the end of Coach Katie's career. I think Rodney Smith didn't play, and they had the guitar player John Allison. You know, he, I, I don't think he was healthy. Um, okay, five and two. You know, you yeah, need I'm to, just helping the resume for yeah, when Notre Dame calls. You need you to update me. these stats for your resume, right? You know, hey, keep keep gassing me up, fellas. I, keep going, keep going, Jake. I've got to call. A, I got to call Jake, a Swarbrick a later today about this. <laughs> Are you taking the Notre Dame job? Yes, I am. I am. Okay. Are uh, you? <laughs> Are you looking to get back into coaching? Am I getting back into coaching? Yeah. Uh, I'd like to. I honestly would. I, you know, it's. I know that was supposed to be a yes or no answer, but um, I just think that uh, people ask me like, "What you miss?" Like, yes, gosh, dog, I miss it. I miss the, I miss, you know, games like Saturday. I miss, um, I miss, I miss recruiting. I miss being able to like. Uh, you know, kind of learn about a family and learn about a, a player, a kid, and I, I miss that that element of it. I miss the normal things of you know hanging out with the guys. But I just, nonetheless, uh, I'm okay with with uh, being able to do TV. Looking at some of that, um, I. <laughs> Gosh, I know, guys. America couldn't go a year without this face, right? Sure. But sure. <laughs> you know, as a competitor, though, I mean, and be honest here, Dane. As a competitor, how much of the way your last coaching tenure ended fuels you to get the comeback? Does that make sense? That is, that's a heck of a question, man. Because it's been going on. It's been going. My mind has has gone a million different directions. You know, part of it's well, maybe I could, you know, come back here someday and and do 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 good things. And then it goes to the other op, other end of the spectrum. Well, you know what? You know, and this is just human nature. Maybe uh, yeah, I'd go somewhere else and just make it my life's goal to kick their butt right every year, right? <laughs> or just to show in general, like, hey, you know what, like. I can like, I, I am okay. I am pretty good at this. You know what I mean? Like to just yeah. kind of prove it in general, yeah. right? Well, the other, yeah, yeah, and that's right. That's right. I don't know if I, I don't know if that that might be. I haven't really thought about that one. <laughs> Dame, I, it, it honestly, um, 
I've seen, and this is going to sound corny, but I don't care. Um, what I learned at Michigan State, and what, I guess what 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 you get into coaching for, um, without knowing it, is just the ability to help people, the ability to teach young people. You know, and you, not much different than than your kids is you teach them the things that you know maybe you should have worked on, but also learning different ways to help them. There's that fulfillment that. Um, it is powerful, man, and I'm sure you guys, your own worlds, have experienced it. Um, Jake, uh, how many kids you got, Jake? I have none, brother. Kevin? Yeah, I got uh, I got two. Okay, yeah, Jake, you're out of this conversation, but Kevin, <laughs> now the boy got starts fulfillment to see your success, even you know, and to deal with your failures of your own children. I mean, that's that's really what players become. They become. They it feels like. Your your kids, you treat them like your kids. You want their success. You you as a coach, you, you feel their pain, you feel their failures, and you hate that they hurt, and you want to help them. And that's the fulfilling part, essentially. You know, money money can be good, but money. Look, the pressure someone puts on themselves, it doesn't matter. Money is just money in that in that sense. Uh, Dane, before we let you go, greatly appreciate your time and your handling of this boycott here on this Wednesday right. morning. Yeah. It's um, been tough. It's been tough. <laughs> who wins Saturday at 4 o'clock inside of Assembly Hall? Well, uh, it's a tough one. Um, but I I think that um, Purdue, you know, they've got to play Penn State tonight. But I think Purdue just is, is clicking on all cylinders, and and, and IU uh, they really have to they're piecemeal right now with some of their injuries. Um, but I'm going to go with a I'm going to go with a tie. Um, it's going to end in a tie. Gee, uh, boy, if you get back into coaching, I hope the team you coach is, uh, plays a little less soft than that answer. <laughs> Wow. Yeah, I'm going to go with the Boilers. I'm going to go with the Boilers in an extremely tight one, just because Purdue's totally healthy, safe for tonight, and they're just they're they're playing well. They're kind of, their arrows kind of pointing up. Although what some you know this Maryland game, this Maryland loss could help Indiana keep them motivated. But I would have said that we would have had a hard time beating them last year, and we would have if Big Shot Rob didn't show up at IU and that was because uh, we weren't playing well at that time but I'm going to go with Purdue by um, a, a tenth of a point 79.1 to 79 yeah. Purdue wins yes yeah. alright yep. we'll lock it in I don't know if the scoreboard we saw the scoreboard break against Ohio State I don't know if we can go decimal points on that one <laughs> for the old score uh, Dane in all seriousness thank you I appreciate it hey guys Awesome, thank you. That's Dane Fife right there on the Payless Liquors Hotline. We're way over. Morning Checkdown time. The Morning Checkdown, brought to you by Ball State Basketball. Get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.
Uh, we'll begin with the game we were just talking about last night. It was Indiana and Maryland, 66-55. The Terps get the win. Both teams now 15-7 and overall, 6-5 and in the Big Ten. Trace Jackson Davis, 18 points. He did have 20 rebounds. That is the all-time record at Maryland's Coliseum or gym or whatever it is that they call it. I always thought Maryland looked like it'd be a cool place to watch a game. Seems like a pretty good atmosphere. Students are always into it. Scott Van Pelt, front and center last night. Uh, tonight in the Big Ten, it's Purdue hosting Michigan, or excuse me, Penn State. Uh, it's a 6.30 tip from Mackey. These teams met about a month ago in the Palestra. Purdue pulled away in the second half. Zach Eady was dominant in that one. So, as Dane said, that will be the only one left between these two teams until they see each other Saturday at 4. Thank you, Mark. Ball State 69 come up with a pop quiz at the last second. <laughs> I got four questions. Really? Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. Ball State 69-60 over Bowling Green last night. 15-7 and out for the Cards. They are 6-3 and in the back. Jerron Coleman had 19. Jalen Sellers 11 for Mike Lewis's bunch. Uh, Tom Brady's done playing football? It appears that is the case. Tom Brady announcing earlier, what, about an hour ago or so, sending out a social media video uh, on a beach that just said, look, I don't have time to – I've already done the whole long-winded thing. Um, thank you, everybody. It's a career. It's done. So Tom Brady retiring after seven Super Bowl championships, five Super Bowl Most Valuable Player awards, certainly the most decorated quarterback in the history of the game. And no Pacers game tonight, tomorrow, hosting the Lakers, Kings on Friday. Sounds like Tyrese Halliburton has a chance to get back into the lineup. Obviously, the Pacers desperately need him. They've lost 10 of 11 without him. All right, it is time for the Pop Quiz, 317-239-1070. Mark, you got a question? We've got two written up, so we can Ooh, we can okay we can collaborate yes. and get our six <laughs> down to five here. Jake, I'd ask how many questions you have, but he's still figuring out what book he's reading to third graders today. That's right, That's right. That's right. Jeremiah yeah. Gray Elementary School, uh-huh. one o'clock. Holes, I believe, is what he's chosen sure to the, read. The kids are thrilled to the third grade. Cool cover uh, of the book, you know, if we want to stretch it there. Kids, uh, sit around. We're gonna read Cat's Cradle by Vonnegut. Pop quiz time. Three at seven two three nine ten seventy. All right, so we have callers lined up for the pop quiz here. Uh huh. You think that's because it's a substitute teacher one? <laughs> well, so here, here's the thing that I've decided. I've made an executive decision. Uh, Scotty arrived and realized that the pop quiz had gotten stuck in uh, email purgatory, so he resent it. So we are going to give like the a caller pre-show mistake. <laughs> we'll give the caller the option between Scotty's pop quiz or the version that we just all collectively came up with on the fly. Oh, okay. So they will have their choice between the two. Uh, but first, Mark, why don't you pick a number for us today? Let's go with three. And that would be Matt. Matt. What's up, Matt? Morning, Matt. Um, how's it going? Going great. How are you on this Wednesday? Uh, a little cold, but I'm all right. You're inside, aren't you? I am. Okay. I'm working. Uh, what What line of work are you in, Matt? I'm um, a market leader for a local restaurant chain. Oh, really? Oh, really? Are we allowed to say the restaurant chain here? Yeah, Church's Chicken. <laughs> oh, oh no, wait. Now, that, they've got that spicy sandwich that people absolutely love, right? That's Popeye's, but we do have a Oh, sorry. Darn it. Oh, oh, sorry. Well, there goes Hold any on. chance of picking our pop quiz. I know. Sorry about that, Matt. Uh, Matt, what's the greatest thing at Church's? Oh, our fresh, juicy chicken. It's the best. Okay. I mean, churches is darn good chicken. Where are they based out of? Um, 
They originated in San Antonio. Um, our franchisee is right now out of rough, uh, suburb of Dallas. Okay. Have you been to San Antonio? I have not. I've been in Houston, just not in San Antonio. Okay. I think the sign's always cool every time I drive by, or it c- catches my eye. Uh, my apologies on getting that wrong, Matt. That's okay. All right. North Coast of Grand, I expect that. It's okay. <laughs> now, what about you? You you went to school where? Uh, BD. Okay, well, we'll speak slowly. Uh, do you know Brad Bowen, my father? Uh, Pop and health. I don't think I do. I don't think school. I do, no. Did you go to Fulton or no, South Lane? South Lane. What year did you graduate from Mid-Navis? 96. Okay, uh, that was actually it's pretty good basketball time. Yeah, right? I was going to say, they were really good in basketball, right? They were, 95, 96, back-to-back. Uh, okay, so here we go. Would you like for us to do the collective on-the-fly pop quiz that we came up with or the one that Scotty got lost in the inbox? Let's do on-the-fly. Let's have some fun today. Sorry, Scotty. Sorry. All right, Kevin, you lead it off. Yeah, it's kind of a hodgepodge of questions here. Number one, Matt, um, Tom Brady retiring from the NFL. How many Super Bowl wins for Tom? Uh, I believe that would be seven. Okay. Uh, Mark, go ahead with question number two. All right. Also, Tom Brady related. He retired. What team does Tom Brady have the most career wins against? Jets, Dolphins, Bills, or the Colts? I believe that's the Jets. What's the one thing that you hate to find in your mailbox? One thing is uh, a bill. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Unless it's a dollar okay. bill. All right, question number three I will give you here. Um, Last night, Indiana played Maryland. Those two teams faced each other in the 2002 NCAA championship game. Who was the Hoosiers' leading scorer in that 2002 national title game? Was it Dane Fife, Kyle Hornsby, Jared Jeffries, or A.J. Moye? Uh, I remember that game. I think it was Jared Jeffries. Okay. All right, number four, Matt. Um, we're in the month of February now. In the month of January, how many road wins do the Pacers have? In the month of January, I believe it'll be zero. That's a smart fellow here. Mark, you want to close it out? Oh, I was... Uh, uh, the Hoosiers lost to Maryland last night. Is your mic on? It's not on. Uh, Hoosiers lost to Maryland last night, 66-55. Trace Jackson Davis led Indiana with 18 points. Who was the second leading scorer for IU? Trey Galloway, Race Thompson, Miller Cop, or Jalen hood Shafino? Oh... Who was it? I think it was Galloway. Okay. All righty. Uh, last question is this. In 1991, my senior year of high school, Ben Davis, was awarded the USA Today National Championship. Who was their quarterback? Oh, I don't remember the quarterback. I remember the running back, but I don't remember. Oh, man, that running back, Stephen Holman, was a beast. He went to Michigan State. He was unbelievable. He was one of after James Banks. He was the best football player I've seen coming out of Ben Davis. Yeah, I, that that is a f- true statement. Chris Ings was the quarterback, by the way. He went to Wabash. Yes, yes, yes. yes. Wabash always fights. <laughs> All right, here we go. Uh, question number one: How many rings for Tom Brady? We know the answer to that, right? Seven. Let's go. Uh, question number two, Mark. Question number two: uh, Tom Brady retired. How many? Who? What franchise does he have the most career wins against? He said the Jets at first, but then he changed it with Jicks. Uh, easy, easy hint. Uh, yes, the Buffalo Bills, 
33 wins against the Buffalo Bills. They can career. simply squat on him. That's not what I wanted to Excuse play. me? Oh, what, what's geez. going on there? Boy. Monk, what are you doing here? Did you, <laughs> Unbelievable. We're having a multitask here. So we got a Schefter drop. Matt, do you want to come in and run the board? Unbelievable. Here. I had nothing else to do here. Let's do it. Uh, <laughs> I can crack a PBR somebody's got, and get out of there. Somebody's got some church's chicken grease on the fingers. Yes! Yeah! Uh, question number three: Who was the leading scorer for Indiana in the 2002 NCAA title game? Jared Jeffries was clearly the best player on the floor for them that year. And Mark, hang on, hold on. I don't think he but got this one. He only had eight points in the national title game. The leading scorer with 14 was Kyle Hornsby. Yo, is that Doctor Hornsby now? That is correct. Yes. Really good player. You don't get to come back tomorrow. You don't even get a lousy copy of our home game. You're a complete loser. Uh, uh, by they the way. simply squat on him. There. That's what I was going to play. <laughs> okay. uh, zero was correct. Was it not for question number yes, four? Yes. No road wins for Indiana, the Indiana Pacers since December 23rd. And for question five, uh, Mark. Race Thompson was the second leading scorer with 11 points last night. Okay. He I didn't look at, at times. So do we just recycle Scott? Scott Scotty has the day off tomorrow. He just do his pop quiz. And then tomorrow. I got I got this one from Matthew here. Um, what is the only state that's never experienced March Madness? Uh, has Alaska? Well, Maine would be one, but Alaska does Alaska have a team that's been to the tournament? Because technically, there are two states, but Alaska has no D one school, so they don't count. Only forty nine states with eligibility. Forty eight have been to the tournament at least once in history, if not more times. You know, if 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 they get in, it's the Black Bears, isn't it, Maine? If they get into the tournament, that would be the main storyline, right? But I think they're the are they the Black Bears or the Brown Bears? They're the Bears, right? Scotty, do you know? In my opinion, that sucked. Yeah, the Black Bears. See, they still do the Great Alaskan Shootout. I used to love that. It is cool. They're the Sea Wolves, right? Alaska Anchorage. Yeah, I think they're the Sea Wolves. No, is it is it Alaska Anchorage or Alaska Fairbanks? That's it's I, Alaska Anchorage. I, I think you're right. Anchorage. Yeah, I think you're right. I've been to Anchorage. No way, man. No, I've been to Juneau and I've been to Fairbanks. And maybe I went to Anchorage. I don't remember. Great story. All right, we're gonna close it out. <laughs> I've been to Juneau. I know that. I went to the state capitol. Please building. stick with us. <laughs> You are listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. What are we doing? Just a disastrous final half hour here. (laughs) What? What? What are we doing here? (laughs) Tom Brady called quits. Class man, age 45, 23 years in the NFL. Jake, you got a favorite Brady memory? The only thing, quite frankly, my memory that, that always stands out in this town to say that is, I was working at Channel Six and I was in the edit bay, and Dave first came back and said, "So did you hear?" I said, "What?" And he said, "Bledsoe's definitely out this week, and the Colts were getting ready to play New England." And I said, "Well, who's who is their backup?" And he said, "Tom Brady." I go, "The guy from Michigan." It's like the sixth rounder that like didn't even start at Michigan. He could, yeah, and I said, well, "This will be the easiest Sunday we've had." <laughs> not not we being the Colts, we like covering the game because like we can just. I mean, this is going to be. They're always easier to cover when it's a win, and he torched them. And I just remember thinking like this guy, and then they came to the RCA dome. And I remember I'm like he's wearing like tennis shoes out there, like running shoes, and. The rest is history. Um, a remarkable career. 
Seven Super Bowl wins, five Super Bowl MVPs, three NFL MVPs, 15 Pro Bowls. Here's Tom Brady in his own words on retiring for good. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time, so when I woke up this morning, I figured I'd just press record and let you guys know first. So I won't be long-winded. You only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Um, thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. The J.J. Watt, Tom Brady, first balladers, class of 2028 for the Pro Football Hall of Fame. And if you want to see the sorriest division of quarterbacks ever in the NFL, just look at the NFC South quarterbacks right now. Now, who is the best quarterback in the NFC South right now? Boy. Uh, each one of us needs to take a team and look up even who their quarterback room is at this point, right? Jacob Eason. <laughs> Sam I, Darnold. I stand by Desmond Ritter. I'm going to stay with that one. How would Ritter do this year? He's all right. Kind of played the last month, right? Yeah. Mariota got hurt. and Boy, that NFC South. I mean, you would talk about wide open. I... Is Jameis Winston still on the roster? I think he's a free agent. Yeah, he's a free I, agent. I again. think him and Mariota are both free agents. Uh, One yeah, year deal. So. Boom, Desmond Ritter, 708 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions. There you it's go. not bad. I, I mean, that leaves things wide open, man. Good for Frank Reich. Yeah, no kidding. Walking into another division that looks very winnable. On paper, again, Frank Reich, we saw him have his opening press conference yesterday. Two head coach openings remain. That would be Arizona and Indianapolis. Reportedly, it's Brian Callahan, the Bengals OC on the interview docket for the Colts today. And Jake, as of right now, we have now seen the seven names, and these would be all of the second interviews the Colts have done, so... We could, emphasis on could, get some finality to this year in the coming days. Think so? If you had to guess, today is February the 1st. Are we into the second week of February without still knowing who the head coach is going to be? I would think in the next week there's a hire. Are we doing our uh, coach draft tomorrow? Yeah, we should do that. Yeah, yeah. you want to fill uh, fill our listeners in on that, Mark? So it's the idea we had. We're going to take the coaching candidates. Obviously, there's seven. We're going to each pick three. So we're going to have two dark horses, obviously, that might go under the radar. But uh, winner of whoever the Colts end up selecting that we draft, the winner gets a six-pack from the other two. Oh, of, so we're, are we throwing one choice. out? Is that what we're doing? Are we throwing a candidate out? <laughs> Wait a minute. There's only one beer, right? For this show. Oh, yeah. I, okay, well, you can get multiple six-packs then. <laughs> Have you gone through your six-pack yet? That I've I got not. You? That'll probably get, get, in, get a little dent in it this weekend. <laughs> okay. Saving them for a special occasion. How Super do we Bowl determine Sunday, the Mark? order of said draft? we got to draw out of a hat. Yeah, I'll draw out of a hat. Okay. Snake it up. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't know if I'd say those terms. Do we have a clear cut who will be the number one overall pick in the fantasy coach draft of who will be the Colts head coach? I don't think so. Yeah, I was going to say I, I don't. I don't. I, I'd be curious what some Vegas odds would look like right now. Colts head coaching search. That and I feel like Arizona's pretty wide open. So can Michigan fans breathe easy now on Jim Harbaugh? I probably yes. I'd say until all positions are filled, no. You know, he could do an impromptu press conference like the one that Bob Ursay did when he came back when Bob Ursay was in Baltimore and he, he came back. Does that say fifty six or fifty eight up there, Mark? Fifty eight. Okay. Bob Ursay came back from um Arizona after meeting with officials in Phoenix when he was thinking of moving the Colts from Baltimore. Obviously, they ended up in Indianapolis. But he got off of a commercial flight and he couldn't get the door into the terminal open and all the news people were there. And he came off and said, I've never been to Azarona. I've I, I never been to Azarona. People say I'm talking to Azarona. I've I never even been to Azarona. And all these people are coming off the plane wearing shirts like I've just been to Phoenix, <laughs> like the whole, so they're stopping people. Excuse me, sir, where was this plane? Uh, we all just flew direct from Phoenix. Ah, he's lying. We've never been to Azarona. And then it came out that yes, he I think was. The story there was talking. he woke up and he thought they were going to Arizona. I remember he said didn't realize the Mayflower was heading to Baltimore. That'd be quite the trip from Baltimore. He to said uh, Jim Irsay and Frank Cush to Memphis. To talk to Memphis officials, and Jim Irsay got there and called Bob Irsay and said, "Hey, Dad, like we're in Memphis. Like, who are we supposed to talk to? Memphis? What in the world are you doing in Memphis?" I mean, it was some tumultuous times, man. Purdue favored by nine and a half tonight over Penn State. <laughs> Penn State might not be overly talented, but they are well coached and they play well. And they shoot the hell out of it. They can really shoot it. So um, that'll be an interesting one. Six thirty tip. Inside of Mackey again on the Pacers front. Sounds like Tyrese Halliburton has a chance to play tomorrow. Kings and Lakers. Reverse that. Lakers tomorrow. Kings Friday. It's really kind of a fun stretch here in Indy from a sports standpoint. The Pacers have got three interesting games. I think the next four nights when you look at the Lakers, Kings, Cavs coming up on Sunday. Obviously, IU-Purdue. IU-Purdue women on Sunday. And then high school sports, Jake. We're starting to get in some tournaments. Girls basketball. uh, Boys wrestling. Fun time of year. It sounds like the weather will cooperate. If you missed it, Dane Fife, Nate Atkins are two guests today. Those will be up on the Best Of podcast. Everybody have a great Wednesday. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Kevin and Quarry, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan.